VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program. It's Thursday, January the 5th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing the program. You'll be speaking with David when you give us a call to get in the queue and on the air to talk about whatever's on your mind. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So, beautiful, crisp, blue sky morning here in the city of St. John's. And we're looking forward to speak with you. Whatever nook and cranny you are, either in the province or around the country, let's get her going. All right, so I think many people in the country who sat on the edge of their seat last night to watch Canada defeat the Americans 6-2. Now, so we're going for gold. There's a combination of things that go into a hockey victory. Number one, and always will be the case, you need some great goaltending. And they got exactly that from Thomas Millich. Interestingly, Millich, who was bombarded last night, made 43 saves in the game. He's the only player on Canada's roster that is undrafted. He was completely passed over. He's playing in the Western uh, Hockey League, of course, for the Seattle Thunderbirds. Guarantee you he won't be passed over again, but way to go, Millich. Then you need some timely goal scoring, and we got it. You need a dollop of luck. We got that. You also need to be on the right side of the inch when it comes down to some of the most crucial calls coming from the referee. So, lots to it. Now, was there a bit of luck involved? Sure. But I think there's a bit of luck involved with most victories, unless there's some of those overwhelming domineering victories. But the controversy for many who were cheering against Canada last night comes with the decisions that were goals were overturned because of goalie interference. We get so used to watching hockey, whether it be in the NHL or major junior hockey here in this country, that we sometimes lose sight of the rules that dominate, or pardon me, that govern the rules of international ice hockey. And it's really quite clear. A good example happened in the first game of the tournament where we played Czechia. And, of course, that's what we played this evening going for the gold medal. And their game against Sweden last night was absolutely brilliant as well. Anyway, so our very own Zach Dean, who played great last night, he got a five-minute major and a match penalty for contact with the head in a body check. It wasn't savage. It wasn't vicious. He wasn't trying to hurt Buddy. He wasn't attacking the head. But that's the rule. When it comes to goaltender interference in international hockey, it's also very straightforward. It doesn't look right or feel right to us Canadian or North American hockey fans, especially the goal that would have made it 3-1. That one overturned felt really pretty harsh for the Americans, and it felt very soft. But the rules are clear. If you touch the goalie in the crease, no matter what, it's goalie interference. That's just how it goes. So they will blow it down if you touch the goalie in the crease and have a face-off. But if you score a goal and you've made any contact with the goaltender when they're in the crease, that's it. It's no goal. It doesn't really settle or sit right with us Canadian hockey fans because we're so used to seeing a bit of tussling close by or even inside the goaltender's crease. And the American kid who scored that would have been the 3-1 goal, he didn't do anything wrong. He played it exactly how he plays it every day of the month or the week or the year while he plays hockey in North America. But... Felt like we were on the right side of the inch on that one. And, of course, that's a bit of a curling term, but we were. Now, tonight should be a beauty. And you've got to spread the scoring around. Josh Roy was on fire last night with his four points. And, as I mentioned, Zach Dean played great hockey. It wasn't the Conor Bedard story, even though quietly he had a couple of points. But, anyway, if you you want to talk about it, let's go. Now, I did reach out on social media last night to ask if there was anyone from around here that was going to be in the Scotiabank Centre in Halifax last night for the semi. Lo and behold... Tons of people from this province. So maybe we'll hear from one or two of them this morning. Another quick hockey note. I want to say good morning and congratulations to 14-year-old St. John's native Seth Hyde. 
Seth has done a lot of work with the Avalon Celtics Minor Hockey Association, calling some games from our, our barn, the DF Barnes Arena. So on Saturday night, he gets another chance, this time in the big leagues. He's going to be joining the play-by-play man for the Growlers, Chris Ballard, in the Bob Cole Media Center to call the Trois Rivières versus the Growlers game. Let me tell you what. Remember the name. He is going to make a career as a broadcaster, specifically as a play-by-play guy, I would imagine, at the highest levels of hockey, and quite possibly in the National Hockey League. So congratulations, Seth. He's a terrific young fella on top of a super play-by-play guy. So anyway, get to call a bit of pro here on the weekend. And for those of you anxious for Marble Mountain to open, they're going to stick with their plan. They were hoping to open on December 28th. Uh, They didn't quite have the snow that looked like it was going to offer that opening on the 28th of December that they saw in November. But January 11th, here it comes for those of you looking to get on the planks or on the board. Looks like that's going to be the opening day. And I'm going to get out to Marvel this year. Certainly hope so anyway. All right. I heard just out of the corner of my ear this morning a story about how people can get rid of their real Christmas tree. I unfortunately have to suffer having a fakey Christmas tree. But if you know more about this story, just fill me in because we want to give credit where credit is due. Some so local arborists have joined forces with the Jacob Potterson Memorial Foundation. They're going to take your Christmas tree out of the bed of your truck or off the roof of your car, throw it through the chipper, make some mulch, sell the mulch, and the proceeds are going to go to the Jacob Potterson Memorial Foundation, who do yeoman's service for youth in the province needing some mental health guidance and counseling. They've been so overwhelmed, there was a point last year where they had to close their wait list. They were simply unable to satisfy the demand. So they need your funding, they need our support, whether it be corporate or individual or not-for-profits. But for that local arborist, I'd love to know the name of the company so that I can give them a more extended and appropriate shout-out for what they're doing here. But that's a good one, faux show. All right, very quickly. This is the, Just stay with me for a second. This will tie into some local stuff. So it was on this date in 1964 that Pope Paul VI met the Greek Orthodox Church leaders for the first time since 1439, which is extraordinary. And yesterday at St. Peter's Square at the Vatican, thousands flocked in to witness Pope Francis presiding over what they call a very rare requiem mess for his predecessor, of course, Benedict XVI. Benedict XVI, of course, stepped down, given his ill health, hadn't been done in centuries. Anyway, the man has passed away. Tens of thousands flocked to the square for the funeral mass. Thousands yesterday for the requiem mass. And what strikes me is whether it be based on conversations over the months and uh, weeks and months here on this program about the fact, and this was another call yesterday from Dennis O'Keefe, Doc says the only recourse now for the faithful, the Catholics who have seen their church property sold out from under them through no fault of their own, is the potential for a class action lawsuit. And I'll let you chime in on that if you're so inclined. What jumped off the page and the TV screen yesterday for me is all of those faithful made their way to St. Peter's Square for the, either the funeral or the requiem mass. And I'm not so sure they think about it, but we know, based on history, that the Vatican would just as uh, quickly turn their back on you. That's what they've done in this province. That's what they've done uh, internationally when problems arose and they knew that they were going to be on the receiving end of legal claims for compensation for victims. And in this province, what it's meant is all of these church properties have gone by the wayside. And nobody but nobody begrudges compensation for the victims at Mount Cashel. So while the faithful are so pious and staunch and supportive, and they've kept the church alive, especially when we talk about small parishes, and at the exact same time, 
the Vatican, blind eye, deaf ear to anything that's going on here. The dozens of church properties that will be sold out from under the congregants who kept those very parishes alive with their support, their volunteerism, their money. And so sort of a juxtaposition there with people flocking to St. Peter's Square, which is gorgeous. It's quite an experience to ever get there if you have the opportunity. But are they there for you when push comes to shove? It doesn't look like it. All right. Heard a lot of this this morning, and this is about the old six-month doubling of GST credit payments, which started back in November of 2022. Now, it really does boil back to the fact that government speak is tricky at best, misleading most times, and very frustrating because when the programs come out, when the anticipation for, in this case, the check arrives in your bank account or in your mailbox, and it's not what you expect it to be. So... We were told you don't have to apply for this one-time bump in your GST, and they always use the word doubling. So people expected their GST check to be doubled. And was it? No. Frustration is the word for it. So, okay. It's basically the double the GST tax credit for six months for those who receive it. It still doesn't really boil it down to exactly what people expected, versus what they got today. So the eligible families and individuals could receive a one-time payment up to $234 for a single person, $306 for married or common-law partners, $387 for a single parent with one child, and $467 for a couple with two children. Let me hear what you actually received. Your circumstance, single, married, common law, single parent, one child, couple with two children, whatever the case may be, because people did not get what they thought they were going to get when they looked and checked their bank account today in anticipation of the, the doubling of their GST check. So I've got a dozen notes on that already this morning, and I'm sure that's going to be a common theme for those who are recipients of GST. Also yesterday, We had a conversation about self-checkouts. Now, what was said by me, of course, very often is misheard or misconstrued or taken out of context. What I said about self-checkouts is not that customers should pay a fee to use a self-checkout. It's that that represented a human being who once had a job scanning your items and consequently was employed and paying taxes. But the companies, in an effort to maximize profit, I totally get it. And sometimes it's hard to fill those roles. So they've been basically got, they get off scot-free. And all that taxes that could be collected are not. So it's not a fee for the customer. It's a fee for companies to employ more and more automation. Now, I'll, I'll, I don't mind being taken to task on that. Someone asked me, well, what does that mean for like ATMs at banks? What does it mean for streaming services versus the traditional network television? There are a couple of different things for starters. Streaming services was just another layer of competition. It added jobs to the industry. So anyway. There was also the thought about what happens if you're overcharged at the self-checkout. Now, you can indeed see it rectified. There's always going to be some folks standing around to try to help folks who are struggling with the self-checkout or just have a question and or are potentially overcharged. This day and age, it's certainly worth keeping your eye on what was in the flyer, what the price was on the shelf versus what the scanned item reflects at the till. There are programs in place to protect you. This one is called the Scanner Price Accuracy Code. So when the code became the go-to as opposed to the old price sticker on every individual item, this is back in 2002, people were worried. People didn't trust the scan, right? Because it was new. Now we're also accustomed to it that many people don't pay attention necessarily. You hear the beep, that means your item's gone through and headed for your bag. 
But it's worth having a look up that computer screen. And you know if you saw something that was in the flyer or on the, count, or on the shelf was for sale or had a sale price, and yet you were charged full price at the till, there are protections in place for you. There are thousands of stores across the country that abide by this policy. It was a collaborative effort between the Retail Council of Canada, they're the folks that manage the code, a bunch of retail organizations, and endorsed by the Competition Bureau. So, if it happens to you, you thought that X was $2.99 and you got charged $3.99 at the till, here's what happens. If a customer is charged more than for the item than the advertised price, they're entitled to receive the product for free if it's under $10. If it's more than $10, the customers can get a $10 discount off of the price. So items that use the UPC code or the LPU code, the price lookup code, so be aware because you might be able to save yourself a few bucks. Now, basically and generally, this boils down to human error, but when every cent counts like it very much does these days, just keep an eye on it. And some of the big stores that we would frequent that have uh, been part of this program, and it's worth looking for a sticker at the till to see if they're involved, but just keep an eye out. So some of the big ones, the giant tigers of the world, Canadian Tire, Shoppers Drug Mart, Costco, Walmart, Rona, Best Buy, Sobeys. So some of the big operations, they are involved here. And it might be human error, and it might be a willful oversight, we'll call it. But if you're being charged uh, something other than the advertised price, you can indeed have that rectified right there at the till and save yourself a few bucks. And there's a for, there is a place to launch a formal complaint, but going through those ringers could be maybe more trouble and time and aggravation than it's worth but keep an eye when the bing happens make sure the bing reflects the price you thought you were supposed to pay for that item because if not you could be compensated all right and on that front you know there's also some things with about you know whether or not the price at the pump reflects the price being charged in the store and they've got to be calibrated these pumps but that's not a story about this is the fact the price of gas is up again today so gas up almost four cents. Diesel down five and a half cents, five point three. Uh, furnace oil decreased slightly. Stove oil increased a little bit. Well, three cents is not necessarily a little. Propane across the entire gamut of the province up point by one point two cents. So we'll still keep the conversation going about the taxes associated with, in particular, home heating fuels. But that's the price of gas is up today, and it's hard to even know when to turn to the pumps because. The P.U.B. and a dog's belly, not that different from each other. All right. Uh, what's this one say? Oh, travel. So this is kind of a curious story. And this is not to criticize the way it's written. But we're talking about passenger travel, passenger numbers at St. John's International. Okay, we know travel has rebounded. And that's come with a, a bevy of problems across the board. But at St. John's International, they think they're going to finish the calendar year with about 73% of the passenger totals that they saw in pre-pandemic years. We'll see what 2023 brings to bear. I know some people seeing the travel woes, especially over the holiday season, are like, ugh, I'm getting involved in that. But what's lost in all of this? You know, some of the stories related to the fact that people arrived, whether they be locals or visitors, here for business or tourists, and couldn't get a cab. They say now that they've got a process in place that sees the cab availability matches passenger traffic. Okay, I hope that's the way it is. But the biggest part of the story that doesn't get a whole, whole lot of attention is beginning next week, St. John's International loses its WestJet route to Halifax. It's always been frustrating enough. For instance, if you're going to Europe and to fly to Halifax or Toronto, just to fly right back over your own home is a pain in the neck. But Halifax is a fly-through hub. Lots of connections can be found at Stanfield International. 
Halifax is a go-to place not only for World Junior Hockey fans, but throughout the, the year. There's 10 universities in Nova Scotia. We've got lots of people from this province go to university there. There's lots of business relations between Halifax and this province. And now that once felt like one of those fundamental routes that you never had to worry about. It's fine that we welcome two new carriers being Swoop and Lynx. But that very useful, necessary route by WestJet from St. John's to Halifax, gone beginning next week. So I'll just throw that in there because travel is always a good one. All right. McKinsey & Company. You know who they are? Of course you do. This government hired McKinsey & Company, an American firm that does work all across the world. They've got offices in some 65-ish countries, and they employ, I don't know, 30, 40,000 consultants. The body of work they did for us was looking at economic opportunity, economic diversification, which we should be able to do in-house, but we all know that hiring consultants by municipal governments, provincial and federal governments is a go-to. Some of that is the opportunity for a bit of plausible deniability and or to say, well, this was the recommendation offered by the experts, and so they go with it. We don't really know what the McKinsey and Company report really said uh, when delivered to the province, which was late, and we paid seven figures for it. They also are, what will I say, they're a bit of a dodgy group. We don't exactly know where their conflicts of interest lie. They don't disclose that type of information to allow governments and or their other clients to make decisions based on whether or not they've got skin in the game opposed to your needs and wants or goals as a government or a corporation. But now we see the numbers about just how frequently they do business with the federal government here in Canada. And it is something else. In the nine years that Stephen Harper was the Prime Minister and the Conservatives were in power, McKinsey and Company did $2.2 million in federal contracts. During the Liberal government's tenure and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the company has received $66 million from the government. So, you know, in large part, they've done a lot of work here on immigration and advising immigration policy. There's big questions to be asked about why McKinsey is such a go-to operation, why we're spending so much on consultants, period. But for nine years and $2.2 million under Harper versus $66 million under the Trudeau Liberals, that's a reasonable question to be asked. And whether or not there's an answer forthcoming, won't hold my breath, but that's a pretty big one. And then you get to the whole immigration file. The federal government has got some whopping big plans for the number of immigrants that they're wanting to bring to the country over the next three years. So in and around 500,000 per year. You know where I stand on immigration, I think is vitally important for the country. Just look no further than labor shortages and the age of the workforce and everything else you can think of. And expanding the tax base is never a bad idea. The process is broken. The backlogs for files that need to be evaluated and approved or rejected is a lengthy wait, to say the very least. And then, this again does not make anybody a bad person to point out, if we already have a housing problem and a crunch in this country, putting out big forecast numbers, even if we're targeting skills that we need in the country, somewhere f for people to live, whether or not they were born and raised here or newcomers to the country, there's a problem that stands today. Where does it go tomorrow if and when those targets are hit? So, again, I think we can't avoid talking about it. And if you want to take it on, I'm more than happy to do exactly that. I did want to talk about a program in Finland regarding homelessness. It's called Housing First. Maybe I'll get to that in a bit. How are we doing on the phone, David? I'm doing okay. At least got a few calls going. A couple of different groups poised to strike in the very near future, whether it be the 100-plus paramedics and ambulance operators uh, represented by the Teamsters, and then over at Memorial University, 
They're going back to class today, but that could be short-lived. Maybe sometime the third week of January, there may indeed be a strike taken by uh, the faculty association representing some 800 professors and uh, core instructors, course instructors. So anyway, that's a big one we can tackle. And let's give you for your information the most recent COVID numbers. We're only going to come out now bi-weekly versus what was a weekly Wednesday update of the COVID hub. So 35 people admitted to hospital. And there's some confusing uh, numbers in here. And the context is not really that easy to understand. So 35 hospitalizations between the 18th of December and the 31st. They're calling them new hospitalizations. I'm not really exactly sure what that means. Is that all about the people who are currently in hospital? Is it the total number? We don't know what discharges look like. So the number is a little bit confusing as they currently put it forward. Out of those 35, uh, five of the 35 were in critical care. They also go on to report that there's been four additional COVID-related deaths. That makes the total in the province at the beginning of the pandemic 295. Living with COVID has now simply been translated to, and I have no interest in making anyone afraid because I've been going to work and going around trying to be mindful not afraid. But 2022 was the worst year of the entire pandemic for this province. 94% of the COVID deaths in the province happened in 2022. 94%. So it's not over. What I'll add to that pile is one of the surefire ways, and nothing is perfect, whether it be masking or washing your hands or social distancing, following the arrows, getting vaccinated, uh, staying away from big, large, indoor groups, nothing has worked perfectly on its own. It simply has not. But one of the key areas that we can talk about is air quality. France has just brought forward legislation for clean air regulations, and it will indeed apply to schools and all public buildings. We can get into the classrooms, must have 800 ppm of CO2 or lower, da, 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 ongoing accurate monitoring. But in this province, we bought the standalone units, but do we have air quality commensurate with going forward? And it's not simply about COVID. Clean air is good for our health, regardless of what we're talking about. Maybe legislative approach to clean air might be a good idea. Uh, all right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. And, of course, you know, reference to WestJet. They've really moved a lot of their business to Western Canada. Not good for us, but I thought I'd mention the loss of that route because you never think you're going to lose a, a shot to, to Halifax. All right, let's have a great show. That only happens when you call. Get in the queue during this break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin this morning on line number two. Say good morning to the NDP member for Lab West. That's Jordan Brown. Good morning, Jordan. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. It's nice to say, talk to you again in the new year. Happy to have you on. Happy New Year to you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I just want to follow up there, because uh, yesterday the story in VOCM about uh, Minister uh, Abbott talking about the need for seniors' housing. And I just want to bring back the, uh, the need that we've been saying for, um, let's say, about four years now in Lever West, have been asking for some assistance, either federal or provincial, to actually build seniors' housing in Labrador West, and they had multiple applications in over the years, and multiple applications have been denied by the federal government. So we actually say, you know, this is, you know, like, this is surprising that only now that the minister's coming out and talking about seniors' housing. I'm a little confused on a variety of fronts here. I suppose I'm confused on a lot of fronts. So there wasn't, it wasn't so long ago, one of the federal ministers, I can't remember exactly who, was here in the city of St. John's talking about matching dollars, actually a bigger investment on the federal side, for affordable housing units. I think it was 145 at the time. One of the questions posed was, what about other parts of the province, specifically Labrador? There was no real clear answer forthcoming. 
I don't know what it takes to paint a very clear picture, more clear than it already has been by yourself, Layla Evans, and others in Labrador, Perry Trimper uh, included, is that this has been an issue that we've known about forever and a day. I don't know if there's anything been done. I sometimes feel like we just stand back and maybe blame it, so to speak, on the economic boom, bust cycle that, you know, industry towns like many in Lab West would uh, force, would experience. But I'm not so sure there's been anything done. You mean add to it no long-term care in the region and then affordable housing for seniors. And we've got ourselves a mess on top of what is already housing crunch. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing about this now. So there's been multiple applications put in by uh, groups in Labrador West uh, into uh, the federal government uh, through uh, CMHC. The reason they're keeping it in the night are saying the building cost is too high. And then they take out numbers and use numbers from St. John's to justify the cost. They don't actually use any data from Labrador in justifying the denial of these applications. So the thing is, if they put in an application, and they do have another application from my understanding, but if they put in another application, the cost is just going to keep going up because of inflation, because of cost of building in the north, and uh, obviously because the way Labrador West is, we don't have you know uh, hundreds of construction workers uh, sitting on their hands waiting for jobs in Labrador West. So anyone that actually has to come in and build this, they're actually going to have to be from uh, brought in to build this, these kind of things. So that's actually another added cost in the, on top of it. So the, the justification used by the federal government and, that, and CMHC doesn't fit the mold for northern Canada. They're, they've got their nose cut despite their face because these programs are fit for urban areas. But, they, but places like Lab West, we can't get in at it, the money, because we exceed their thresholds. Okay, so what would the model or the structure of a policy look like that would be more suitable to Lab West? Well, obviously, it has to be uh, taken into account the cost of building in the north. We And, and that's what the, uh, the numbers, uh, obviously, that they're going to use. They're using data collected in urban areas like St. John's and Halifax and things like that. And now we're looking at trying to build in the north. So obviously, if anything that's going to have to be built, the province is going to have to come in and make a large contribution to, down, uh, to bring down the cost so that the amount of money that is being borrowed from the federal government is less. And that's where we need the provincial government to step in and actually help with these decisions because we can't do it. We just can't do it without some provincial backing on these projects. And then have the minister come in and say, you know, hey, you know, like, we need more of these units. Well, yes, we did it like five, six years ago. We needed these units. It's a crisis now. Before it was a need. Now it's a crisis because I have seniors here who are living in houses built in the 50s and 60s that can't be accommodated to uh, mobility needs because these were built for, you know, young working families. And now you have people with mobility issues and cognitive issues and things like that are in houses that they can't maintain. I have, I've known of some seniors that actually live in their living room because they can't get upstairs in their house anymore. So this is the kind of stuff that we are looking at is that we need accessible housing that actually have universal design that actually helps seniors live comfortably and happy in their in their later years, because right now they're living in misery, Patty. This was exactly happening. And seniors in this region are living in misery. We're the largest region in this province with no seniors' housing. We have no uh, we have no seniors' care. The only thing we have is twelve long-term care beds. It's the only thing Lambert West has, and we have a population just exceeding ten thousand people now. I don't know how to ask this one. What do you think the root of this is? You know, sometimes when you have governments. Of course, and the the seat of government here in the city of St. John's, although representatives including you and Layla and Perry up in Labrador, is is it a misunderstanding or 
just no clear understanding of what's happening on the ground. The news stories, these conversations have been quite clear. The picture has been painted very aptly by you and others as to what's happening. So is it a Labrador issue slight, do you think? Is it a simply lack of understanding about what's happening on the ground in Happy Valley Goose Bay or Lab West, pardon me? So what what is it? Because... You know, sometimes I'm at a loss for words. We can only talk about issues so long until not only has it become a problem that turns into a crisis, which you describe it to be for long-term, or pardon me, uh, seniors' affordable housing in Labrador. What do you think is behind all of this? Well, I'll, I'll start with this one. It, in 2019, uh, the, at the time, Premier Ball cut the Office of Labor Affairs in Labrador West. That was a direct conduit of actual information and data from Labrador West right into the Executive Council. They closed that office in 2019. So right now, there is no senior government officials in Labrador West. The most senior government official right now in Labrador West would be the clerk at the DMV. This is how how much has been cut out of there. We lost, uh, we lost the Natural Resources Office out of here years ago. Now we lost the uh, Labor Affairs Office out of here. So really, government cut their nose off to spite their face when it came to actual data from this region on things that are going on. And now it's just all assumption. So this is what has happened. There's no, nothing being collected. There's no actual real data make decision making. And we've now seen the results because there was a report done early 2000s about seniors and the potential for a senior's boom of like, you know, in this region. And the report said, less and less as, you know, Labradorians, like more people in Labrador West continue to stay as, you know, we evolve in generations. I'm generation three. My daughter is generation five of people that came here in the 50s. So as people stay, obviously, they're going to retire here. And so the population is going to be stabilized into more, you know, more people. And this is what happened. And it was the government was warned about this decades ago, and they didn't act on it at all. Appreciate the time again this morning, Jordan. Uh, I might be a voice in the wilderness on this front, but... And it's easier to look back and say we should have done this or that. But with the obvious needs for housing and the coming and going of big economic booms, you know, part of the royalty with the mining companies really should have been an attention on permanent housing as opposed, you know, very much akin to a work camp, but more permanent. I'll I'll give you this one, Patty. The mining companies have said if government steps up and actually does this, they're there to help. They've already told government they're ready to help. And that's what they said. But at the end of the day, government hasn't budged on it. And that's the problem. Appreciate the time, Jordan. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Jordan Brown is the NDP member for Lab West. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going all the way to Halifax to talk about the stir that was inside and outside the Scotiabank Centre last night and yesterday evening or throughout the uh, the tournaments of the World Juniors. Johnny Fancy was at the game. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And welcome back to the program. Let's go. Line number four. A fellow who I, I try not to spend any time being envious or jealous, but in this case, I absolutely am. Johnny Fancy was at the game last night to see Canada beat the United States of America, and I assume we saw a bit of the Sweden-Czechia uh, game as well. That's Johnny Fancy on four. Johnny, you're on the air. How you doing, Patty? Couldn't be better. How you doing? Oh, best guy. Before we get into the game and the atmosphere inside the Scotiabank Centre, because you can tell it translates very clearly on TV, What's it like in Halifax proper? Because in some cities where you go for some big sporting events, you can tell that the buzz is city-wide or town-wide. Some others, you don't even feel it until you walk through the turnstiles of the barn. What about Halifax? Yeah, unbelievable. The uh, the whole experience up here has been barn on. 
unbelievable. It's a bit of a, you know, smaller, smaller rink, 11,000 people. But the atmosphere in inside the rink has been unbelievable. And just the whole city is, is just a buzz, right? And with the whole Connor Bradard stuff, you know, the, the, the kid is unbelievable. It's crazy. I've run out of superlatives uh, for a kid like Bajard. And, you know, I've had people even say, let's be careful not to go too far on him because he might be a flash in the pan. I'd be absolutely shocked if he doesn't turn into the superstar that he already is at the tender age of 17. Imagine he just eclipsed Yarmor Yager for most points as a 17-year-old. Yager's in the top three scoring of all time in the National Hockey League, even after missing all those years uh, playing over across the pond. Okay, so it's a buzz inside uh, the city itself, which I think is really helpful for the overall experience. Inside the building, I mean, are there any fans at all cheering for, like, is there a big American contingent? You couldn't really tell on TV. They didn't speak to it very often. Was it just all Canada, go Canada, go? Or did you see a bunch of Americans uh, also in the yeah. in sense? Yeah. Big time, big time Canadian. But uh, there's you know, a couple of Americans that we ran into tonight and we just said boo. But, you know, when they, when, when they went up 2 nothing, I was kind of, you know, kind of stressing out. And, but, uh, I said in the second period they were going to score three goals, and those those couple goals that got disallowed for a goaltender interference, which you know to me is a bit insane because double IHF rules compared to NHL rules or actual rules are you know a little bit soft, but at the same time it's uh, you know we got we got a little bit lucky, but. They, they sealed the deal. Well, at 2 nothing in the first period, I always have the same thought that goes through my mind is next goal wins, right? It's as simple as that. Yeah. A 3 nothing game, it got away from you. 2-1, you're right back in. And, of course, Bedard. It wasn't the Bedard show last night, but who scores the one to make it 2-1? Bedard. Oh, absolutely. Amazing yeah. stuff. You know, also, there's always going to be the key ingredients that lead to a victory. It will always begin and end with whether or not you get good goaltending and timely stops, and Milich did exactly that. To know he's the only player on the yeah. roster that was passed over by all the NHL teams at the most recent NHL draft is something else. Yeah. But when you see a big save, it's amazing what that does for the crowd and the players. Very much like a big hit or a tilt or even scoring a goal. Yeah. A big save sometimes yeah. is all the energy you need. Absolutely. He, he came up uh, timely saves tonight. He, like, came up big time and i said we we like that team canada hasn't had a goalie since carrie price really but i mean he he came up tonight he came up huge he stopped i think it was almost like 44 50 shots so he he, he came up huge when, when he needed to and when they when they scored the fifth goal i said okay we're we're okay with six, seven minutes left, right? But you never know. You never know. Uh, absolutely not. And we see that kind of stuff all the, all the time. It's interesting that you mentioned the International Ice Hockey Federation rules because right back yeah. at the first game of the tournament, Zach Dean and his five-minute major, that's always going to be the call in international hockey. If it, that was in uh, yeah. the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He gets two for roughing. Yeah. So there's just a different set. And I knew oh, that absolutely. both those goals were going to be overturned. The rule is clear. You touch the goalie in the crease, that's it. It's goalie interference in the international play, yeah. even though it feels yeah. very soft. Uh, a couple of quickies, Johnny. Were you there for the Sweden-Czechia semi as well? I was, yeah. I was I was right on the glass for that game. Down right down in the corner. I was hoping it was gonna to go to a shootout, but sure. 
Chucky, Chucky came out strong in the last little bit. Well, they were out playing him the whole the whole game except for the first period. Sweden up played him and they scored a goal. And after that, it was kind of it was kind of a bit of a boring game. But Chucky poured on after, and they deserved to win. Oh, yeah. I mean, great goal to tie it up and a beauty in OT, which oh, was a absolutely. sight to behold. You got tickets for tonight? Coolidge, Coolidge played really well. He's, yeah. uh, he's a top prospect. Played really well. Scored two goals. Yeah, I, I, I got tickets tonight. Yeah. Well, your voice doesn't sound too bad, so you must be hanging in there. I am trying to. Had a boy, John. <laughs> Listen, thanks for making time. I'm glad you've enjoyed it up until now. And go Canada, go, and have a great time this evening as well. All right, brother. Absolutely. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Ben. All the best. All right. Bye-bye. Johnny Fancy, one of a plenty of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians in the stands last night at the Scotiabank Centre. Yeah, we'll see what we got. There's a little bit of revenge on the line too, right? It was a big upset to lose 5-2 to Czechia to open up the tourney, but I'll see what we can do tonight. Let's go to line number one. Peter, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hello, very good. Uh, good morning. Uh, I just wanted to speak uh, about the FFAW uh, so-called election that's uh, going to be today and, uh, and yesterday we learned that uh, Jason Sullivan uh, was uh, declined the uh, right to uh, run because of uh, fish and ale well I'm in the same predicament as that but now I wasn't intended to run but if I wanted to it would still take my dues since 2018 as uh, as Jason Spingle said, it was put in the Constitution then, you know, like, but uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe they should reimburse our dues if we're not entitled to the same things as other union members are. But uh, having said that, you know, uh, would I vote for Jason Sullivan? Probably not. But should he have the right to run? Most definitely. And uh, is Greg Pretty a president? Definitely not. So the inshore council and the executive, there's good men and women under today, you know, supporting uh, different members of the organization. You know, they're going to have to make up their mind. If uh, if Dave Callahan is the right man, he's outside the box. He got a business. Uh, he got a business uh, experience, and he also got his experience as a fisherman. So I'm told. So, you know, like, uh, if you want some new blood in there, I, I think this is a good time to, to put it in there. But, uh, you know, they said Russia interfered with the United States election with Donald Trump, and they said China interfered with the last election federally here in Canada. You know, like, I didn't really believe all that, just listen to it in the media and stuff like that. But, you know, like, I got no problem believing it, you know, after yesterday. And uh, leave it to the 11th hour for Jason to be notified, or so he said on uh, on your program. I believe it was three or three thirty or something like that. And I didn't. Uh, nominations were already closed uh, since the 29th, and uh, never uh, never knew until then, you know. But uh, that's that's the way I see it, Patty. But I I think it's a democracy at its worst. And Greg Pretty said in your program, like, people that was trying to tear down the union. You know, a lot of members think that they done 
a great job of doing that themselves. And they're still continuing to do it today. And yesterday was a prime example. How can you get respect when, you know, like, the only way that you're going to get a, a paid position is if you're slid in, like, under the door or the doormat in this particular case. And uh, I, I think it's wrong. There's a lot of members that think it's wrong. There's been a lot of conversation going on uh, among members, and uh, they're not all calling open line or anything like that. And a lot of people are just afraid to speak out because of the repercussions from the from the union. And uh, you know, like uh, that's just the way I see it, buddy. And I think that uh, it's a shame that a person would take a job that he's probably not qualified. Well, he's not qualified to do. And I'll give you an example. Last year with the oil tankers. Uh, off our coast, they're all, they're all unionized by the uh, by uh, FFAW. The voters, I think, was 98% in favor of going with the SIU. Greg Petty, I believe, was the rep at that time. I'm pretty well sure he was. And uh, But the SIU, at the 11th hour, they forgot to file the documents. Well, another tactic, you know, big union, pick on small union, you back away or either that, that's my opinion now, you back away or either that, uh, you know, we'll go take some of your members, but you know, that's the, that's, that's the way I see that, and, uh, you know, like industrial, for not to accept Jason as, as a candidate, how scared must he be, you know, the industrial, Greg Pretty as after serving on uh, various organizations when it comes to the industrial. And every time there was a contract negotiated, there was a loss taken. So maybe it's not the fish harvesters that he's worried about more. Maybe it's the industrial vote that he's worried about more. But either way, you know, like the FFAW is going to make sure that they're going to have who they want there to be president. And... Uh, I, I think that's uh, I think that's totally wrong. I'm not saying Greg Pretty shouldn't be a candidate, but is he still on the payroll? Is he still in the office? You ask him several questions, and he had the answers. But when sometimes when he said uh, you asked him questions, he always said that was the election uh, committee. Well, apparently the chief of the electric committee and a very good person, I must say, is Tina Pretty. And Tina's a, I know her for a long time, a real, but you know, there is still a conflict of interest there. And, uh, and that's how it goes. You do as I, like Simon says, now that's what I So, anyway, I gotta keep there, Patty, and uh, that tells me my phone is going dead. Okay. So, you have a, you have a good day, and when, uh, I guess uh, we'll wait for the results, but the results is gonna be a negative. For the membership. Appreciate the time, Peter. And thank you for listening to me for rambling on, but anyway, that's the way I see it. No problem. Bye. Stay in touch. Hey, you too. Bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, let's go and take a break. Do not go away. Today might be a good day to get on the show. Just call and get in the queue. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go. Line number four. Al, you're on the air. Hello. That's Hello. you, Paddy? That's me. Wait, no, Paddy. I'll sit down. 
Oh, my job. Uh, Paddy, uh, listen, what are they going to do? Are they, are they going to keep this oil racket up, I wonder? Which oil racket? This is stove oil and gas and all that stuff. Well, I'm not sure exactly what the question means, but uh, if I understand your intent, the answer is yes. No. But uh, it's gone up again, I think, Paddy. It is. Well, fur- furnace oil actually went down a little bit yesterday, but that's only after it went up seven cents a day before. So yeah. this week, net up. Yeah. Well, Paddy, you got other people waiting to call in, but I just got one more answer to ask you. I put some in my ass, Paddy. Okay. And I goes into them stores. And it's just as well for me to leave the mask off because when you take your mask off, you're getting it in your clothes, but other people don't have no masks. Yeah, I mean, the masks really are only optimized when all yeah. hands are wearing them. Yeah. I see the scatter few people wear them around. I think I saw a few more over the so-called holiday season wearing them at the shops than I did prior to. Maybe that was just taking that extra layer of precaution, getting into the holidays so they didn't catch one of the bugs that's flying around, of which there are many, including COVID. But, yeah, fair enough. Well, that gets all in your clothes when you take your mask off. Uh, Yeah, but, of course, well, anyway, there's a bit of complication there. But You bring it in other people's houses when anyone walks into their house. Did you do anything over the holidays yourself, Al? No, Paddy, there's no no such thing as Christmas no more. Why not? No, because there's no one around only. They still got their lights up, and Christmas is over. <laughs> Some people go... Yes. I took my lights, and I fired them out in the middle of the road. That's what I didn't do. You can't be littering. What happens if one of those rabbits you're looking for gets tangled up in them lights? Well, oh, the, the rabbits. <laughs> there's no such thing no more, Paddy, rabbits. Uh. The, the foxes got them all. Oh, is that right? Yeah, lots of foxes down Torbay, Bali and Lion area. Yeah, I was down in Torbay not long ago, and I actually saw yeah. a fox running right in the, alongside the road leading to the Jackburn Arena, as a matter of fact. Yeah, oh yeah, they're out there too. Yeah. They're, they're all over, wherever there's woods, there's foxes now. Absolutely. They comes up from uh, from the, uh, I forget, down around the ball parks, and that, up on Torbay Road, the, that. Okay. Yeah. Well, Paddy, you got someone else waiting now to get on, and I'll let you go. You have a happy new year. Same to you, Al. All yeah. the best. All right, then. Okay, buddy. Bye. Bye. Uh, Dave, I'm a little bit uh, forgetful here this morning. Did you want me to go to three, David? Is that the play? I'll do it all right. Like, I suppose Dave's busy. Line number three. Andrea, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. This is Andrea Porter. Uh, we have a missing Sheltie from the Gull Pond area, which is about two kilometers west of Gooby. Uh, she got spooked by fireworks uh, December 31st, and she bolted. And we haven't seen her since. We think she may be still in the area, but we're just working off print. Uh, there was one sighting on Northside Road um, in Goobies, but that was New Year's Day, and we kind of haven't had very much luck since. Uh, we do know she managed to make it to the highway at some point. Now, whether she traveled on the highway or, and I know she did get across it and was on the transmission line on the opposite side of, say, Big Stop Irving and Goobies, on the opposite side of that on the transmission line. But I just wanted everybody to know to just kind of have a lookout for her. She's um, a black and tan Sheltie. She's a bit bigger than a normal Sheltie, almost tall as um, a border collie, say, but definitely the features of a Sheltie, and she's black and tan. And her name is Mia. 
Mia, the black and tan Shelty, that's what I was going to ask, because you can have a much more orange, reddish and white versus the black and tans, but of course the chest of white. Beautiful dogs. We had a collie yeah. when we were kids. Okay, so Mia got away. You know, the whole issue with fireworks and pets, some of them really don't get too skittish or stressed out about them. Some, the exact opposite. It is just a nightmare for the pet, for the dog, and for the owner of the dog. So Mia went missing, and I guess you said on New Year's Eve, right? She did, yeah. And we've had, we had four Shelties in our cabin at the time, and our grandson got spooked by the fireworks and ran inside and left the door open. She was the only one that bolted. The three others, I guess, were not as scared or skittish as what she was. But now she's been, she's been gone. I think this is day five now we're working on. So I just wanted everybody, even in the area, I don't even know if she's traveling east because we're from St. John's and we're at our cabin, so I'm not sure if she's just trying to get that way. But if anybody sees her, just to give us a call, take a picture of her, kind of get low, don't approach her or try to call out to her or catch her because she will run. She's already scared and she's skittish in nature anyway. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask about the temperament because it's kind of hit and miss with dogs like Shelties. Some of them are tranquil and cool and easy and mild, and some of them are got the ADHD on bus. What's Mia like? She's got the ADHD on bus. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, she is. She's, uh, she's, we rescued her about a year ago from the Rescue NL site, and, I mean, she's had some just some fear issues, not, you know, just some fear issues, and she, she does have, you know, high anxiety for Shelties. So the fireworks really kind of didn't help. No, and they seldom do. So everyone keep your eyes peeled. And who knows how far the dog has traveled at this moment in time. But is Mia used to being out and about, or is she very much sheltered at home type of dog? She's, she's very much a sheltered. She's not a woods dog. So now that we're up in the woods and she's lost, I'm pretty sure she's not sure what she's supposed to do at this moment. And she's always walked on a lead up here. Like, I, we still don't take her off a lead most of the time up in the country when we walk as well. So she's not totally familiar with the area, is not where she lives. Now she, we, she's been up to the cabin for, you know, we've a year since we've had her. We've been back and forth and weekends and stuff. So she's a little familiar, but not, not too, too much. Do you want to give your number out here? Yes, absolutely. My number is 687 4549. Mm-hmm. And my husband, Dave's number is 685 9311. Nine three one one, and you yeah. say your name is pronounced Andrea. 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 Okay, because I have a sister Andrea, but I thought you said Andrea off the top, which some people do pronounce it that way. Uh, good to have you on the show, Andrea. Fingers crossed that me is home safe and sound ASAP. Hopefully, thank you. You're welcome. Take care. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. All right. Just before we get to the news break, we mentioned that you know to find a home for your real Christmas tree and do some good at the exact same time. I was looking for the name of the local arborist that has come up with this plan. Uh, and the company's name is Old Earth Arborists. They're going to take your tree. I'm going to get some more details about the where the winds, where you can drop off your tree, go through the the chipper, turned into mulch, mulch sold. Proceeds go to help the men and women and the terrific services offered at the Jacob Potterson Memorial Foundation. So I guess I'll have to look up Old Earth Arborists in the phone book, old school, and figure that much out for you. Okay, when we come back, lots of time to speak with you on a topic of your choosing. Do not go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number 6. Good morning, Jim Hare. You're on the air. Jimmy Hare on 6. Hello. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, I got you there now, buddy. 
Yes, just call on about the St. John's Junior Hockey League, uh, Patty. You're the president, right, Jim? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah. I, I yeah. lose sight of who's in what position these days, but go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, first off, let me uh, let me congratulate Darren Colburn and the job they're doing out there in Cornerbrook getting senior hockey on the go. Here, here. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> it's a big job, I I can tell you. Anyway, no, we just uh, want to let uh, our people out there, especially our fans and sponsors and whatnot, that we were kicking off the second part of our season uh, this Friday night, and we got. Two games, one in CBN, that's Mount Pearl going to be there, and the Southern Shore are going to be visiting Avalon at the D.F. Burns Arena. And following that, we got two Saturday night games, Conception Bay Regional, Conception Bay South team are in paradise. Avalon goes to Twin Rings to play St. John's. And on Sunday, Mount Pearl are home to uh, CBS, and Northeast will host the Southern Shore. So we're... We're off and kicking a little over halfway through our schedule. And, Patty, all years I've been involved with hockey, and in a few years now I've been involved with the Junior Hockey League. I can't get over how competitive this league has been this year. Yeah, I saw a bit of a game up at the D.F. Barnes Arena, which is a perfect arena for junior hockey, if you ask me. Absolutely. So how did the first half go? Because throughout different levels of hockey, there's been some issues with uh, the numbers of people showing up, whether because they're sick or otherwise. And, of course, with junior, he got some guys going to university and whatnot. How did it go in the first half? Yeah, we, we uh, had a great first half, no issues at all. Uh, the, uh, yeah, like you say, with the junior hockey, of course, I'd say 95% of our guys there are probably in some sort of post-secondary. So, you know, exams, although we quit uh, we quit there on December 2nd, so the, uh, the lads can have plenty of time to get into their books and for their, before their midterms, I guess, to call them there at, uh, at Mon or any other institutions that they go to. So, uh, with, you know, having said that, they've all, all the teams also have a, uh, what we call an AP, that where they can, uh, they, where they can uh, associate with a, with a team, uh, a AAA major team for a fact, something like that, and where they can put players at the midget uh, age, onto their roster and use them in times when uh, the other guys are are tied up with books or exams or whatever. So, so yeah, it it, uh, it uh, hasn't been an issue this year. The the uh, the standings are like I said, this league this year is uh, ever so competitive. And uh, for the people out around uh, Bay Roberts, uh, Friday night or tomorrow night, I guess they're going to have a a great game to see because it's going to be the first place CBN Stars are going to be hosting the Mount Pearl Blades, who are second. So uh, it's going to be a good a good game to kick off our uh, our second portion of the 22-23 league, and uh, yeah, like I say, it's uh, it's just going good. We're uh, we're quite happy with it. Yeah, and of course, I'll just uh, give people the quick rundown again. And then on uh, the same night, the Southern Shore are at the D.F. Barnes Arena to take on the Caps. The Renegades and the Warriors at the Paradise Double Ice Complex on the seventh at a puck drop at seven ten out there. The Caps and the Caps. Uh, at Twin Rinks on the 7th again. Puck drop is 8.15 at that barn. And off you go. Very quickly before we run out of time, it just pops in my mind. Yep. Uh, Claire Howe. And I think another young lady became the first officials of females yes. to referee at this level. Now, of course, Claire put the orange armbands on to be the head official on the ice. That's correct. How did that come to pass, and how important do you think that is? Well, you know, it's an opportunity for the female uh, referees to uh, to uh, step up another level, you know. It's... Uh, it's a tough game. Uh, you know, it'd be a tough game for them because, uh, but from what all accounts, and unfortunately, I was at neither one of them, uh, that they both did quite well, and that that was uh, that was obviously great to see. So uh, you know, we're we're sort of proud as a league that we could offer them the opportunity to uh, officiate a game in a you know a little higher caliber than what they've been used to. And uh, if anyone who's ever played, the step up from midget, even if you're playing at the AAA level, it's just all of a sudden 
there's more men on the ice. <laughs> there's a long way between being 17 and a big player uh, towards being an overage junior because then all of a sudden you get a bit of man weight and man strength on board, and that makes it a different kind of fish, plus a little bit of, I'm going to say, uh, testosterone can run wild a little bit sometimes in junior hockey, which is not a bad thing. You know, you're playing for real out there. So uh, good on the league for seeing a couple of females make their debut appearance in junior hockey. And, of course, it's like everything else. For the young female hockey players, it makes it much more exciting and gives you something to look forward to or aspire to when you see the Maggie Connors and the Abby Newhooks of the world out there doing big things on the big stage. Same thing for referees and the minor hockey officials and even junior and senior. The issue pertaining to refs and the way they're treated and to try to keep them interested in the game so they can make their way to ref and junior and senior hockey games, you need someone to look up to. You need to see Claire Howe out there. Absolutely. Patty, before I go, yeah. I just want to let the people out there know also that we've, we've, uh, we've got a newsletter now that uh, Nicholas Hillier, our, our communication guy, has uh, done up, and the first issue has gone out. But if anybody's interested and want to want to have a look at it, they can go to, uh, on the social media, they go to at SJ Junior Hockey, and it should be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, if they want to subscribe, and they'd get a copy of that newsletter every two weeks. I think we're going to send that out. So that that's that's a positive thing. And one other one other thing, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention and thank all our community sponsors, our corporate partners, and and uh, it's guys like that who sponsor these things that keep this league going. Also, and I know from talking to several of the players, they're greatly appreciative, like to getting the Player of the Game award or getting the goaltender of the week or the Player of the Week. So, so uh, again, can't. Can't thank our sponsors enough, and that's not just our sponsors for the league, but the sponsors for all the teams in the league. All eight. Yeah, I see Reagan Seymour winning a couple of player of the games, and a fine player, good yeah, family. Oh, a real nice hockey player he is, yeah, absolutely. And I know you made a, a two or $3,000 donation to Fiona Relief, and I saw that you renewed your partnership with Sportscraft, of course, the legendary sporting good provider here yeah. in this region. So all the way back down the stands, feeling like you were a superstar getting invited upstairs to pick a twig. And, I tell you, uh, and of course, the Growlers. We, we, yeah, we, right. We didn't say, cause they, they, uh, they do the, the uh, player of the games, and... Uh, so, again, can't thank these guys enough. This is, like I say, without them, you know, it would be a struggle for the Junior Hockey League. But, but you know, in, again, in closing, if there's anybody out there who wants to partner with us as a sponsor, you know, tell them to give me a shout. We'd be more than happy. And, and uh, because it's uh, it's costly for these young fellas in some cases. You know, they have to play, you know, a, a fair amount of dollars to, to play the Junior League. And uh, if we could only get some more fans in the stands. Having said that, we've had some pretty good attendance up to Christmas. And now that we're getting close and playoffs are just around the corner for us around mid-February, that uh, the games are even going to be more now as uh, everybody tries to shuffle and see where they can get in the, in the standings to set up their first round, you know. Yeah, and look, there's got to be a little bit of extra jump in the boys' legs uh, in these upcoming games just because they're watching the World Juniors like I am. And, you, you know, oh. they know they're not going to be playing for Canada at the World Juniors, but you get that little additional spark and a bit of motivation coming from watching Canada do so well, and hopefully they win it all tonight. Uh, if you look for more information to contact the executive, find out about the schedule, uh, the Hockey League's uh, website is really quite simple. It's stjohnsjuniorhockeyleague.ca. Good to have you on, Jimmy. Good luck. Okay, Patty, thanks very much. And uh, again, just a final thing. Too, don't forget then, uh, not this uh, April, but the following April 2024, 20, Mount Pearl Blaze will be host, hosting the Don Johnson, which is the uh, which is the Atlantic Canada's championship for junior B hockey, and of course named named after a great hockey icon and Don. 
the greatest Dan Johnson story for me has looked Dan put a lifetime into it not just here provincially softball and hockey but on the national stage with Hockey Canada and for years and years and years Don Johnson was pleading with the Hockey Canada executive to change the wording in the rule book regarding overtime but forever and a day it was called sudden death Right on. And Don thought it should be called Sudden Victory. And on his going away meeting at Hockey Canada, they told Don, much to his glee, that they were changing it to Sudden Victory. And that and that they have. That's a cool story, right? I love that one. Oh, yeah. Don, Don, Don if God rest us all. But if he was around, we could sit down all day and listen to his stories. Oh, absolutely. Go to some of the Athlete of the Week or Month Award uh, meetings as well. First thing Don would do would be to congratulate the others who are nominated congratulate the opponents of any of the victors because without them you couldn't have a game. He was just one of a kind by that man. Oh, tr- terrific man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Jimmy. Okay, thanks for your time, Patty. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. All the best, bye. Yeah, the great Don Johnson. Imagine, forever and ever and ever, with sudden death. And it makes sense because, you know, it's the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. But Don thought, no, the right way to term that in the hockey uh, rule book is for it to be sudden victory, which is exactly what it is if you stand back and think about it. And given how often he brought it up at the Hockey Canada meetings and on his swan song, his going away meeting, they did exactly that. They told Don they were changing the rules officially to make it a sudden victory. I love that story. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, Evan's got a complaint about a truckie bot. I think he's filing a formal consumer complaint on that front. Then we're talking campaign finance reform. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number seven. Good morning, Hugh Donnan. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks. How about you? Great, thanks very much. Good. So I'm calling uh, on behalf of the Anne Cathedral of St. John's downtown. Um, we have a free community event tonight, and I just wanted to tell people a little bit about it. What's happening? So um, this is a, uh, an event initiative we used to do before the pandemic. And, uh, of course, during the pandemic, it was difficult to get groups together and people together. And now, uh, as we're hopefully coming towards the end of that, we're delighted to do it again. Uh, we're calling it Old Christmas Day in the Crypt tomorrow and today and tomorrow being uh, the Old Christmas Day. And we're welcoming the entire community, anybody who'd like to come and join us from 6 to 9 p.m. tonight. We're going to have soup, rolls, cookies, hot and cold beverages, some music and fellowship. And we're just looking for for anybody who would like to join, um, you know, regardless of whether you have any connection to the church or not, to, uh, to come by and just as a way to to reach out to the local community and, and maybe uh, people who are who are um, uh, underhomed uh, or, or any any part of the community really, uh, and just uh, have a sort of a night, especially a cold night like tonight, where they can come in and get something hot uh, and warm themselves a bit and and meet and have some good conversations. Hugh, uh, uh, cookies a good incentive. Musical, of course, is always enticing. Who's Who's going to be providing some of the musical performances? Uh, so we've got uh, our our choir director uh, Sharon Whalen, who's going to be coming along. We've got the piano, uh, so we'll be we'll be doing some uh, some sing along and and all that kind of stuff. It'll be pretty informal in that regard, but uh, you know, uh, a lot of stuff happens over the Christmas holiday period. Uh, you know, those weeks just before and just after Christmas. So uh, we thought this year we'd do it sort of in that first week in January where things are starting to wind down and and people are maybe uh, turning their attention to other things. Uh, it'd be a great time to really um, you know provide this sort of a sort of an opportunity and you know, there's people who who are alone there are people who um you know who are looking for a bit of fellowship and that kind of thing and uh and so that's sort of where we're where we're really targeting this whole event Hugh, you mentioned for you know on a cold winter's night like we're anticipating this evening and for folks just to get in and some fellowship and conversation and something warm to drink is that the target audience here or is that you're just extended to ensure that people who are in that life circumstance also know that they are included 
really, really, when we envisioned this event, probably I guess it was probably four or five years ago now, we, we did it for a couple of uh, a couple of Christmases. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to create an event that had no barriers, really, that was sort of an all-inclusive event. As much as we wanted our own church parishioners to go or people from, from Gower or other or churches around the area, we really wanted to target other parts of the community, people that uh, maybe are a little more vulnerable and um, who could come in in a, in a, com- in a completely uh, accepting environment, a place where uh, they could have a chat with, uh, you know, people they people they know, people they've they've never met before, uh, could sit quietly if they wanted, could uh, have something warm to drink or some soup, that kind of thing. So really, um, you know, it, while it was created to sort of build a community in the community in which we serve, that downtown area. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there might be people down that area who are uh, new Canadians. There might be people in the area who have just moved to the to downtown core. And so, we, you know, we really just want to extend it to, to anybody and everybody so that all feel uh, all feel welcome. Even our own parishioners who come, you know, it's it's not a thing where we're kind of all just serving. You know, we, we just want to sort of walk around, talk to people, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of get to know people a little bit. And that's really the target and the whole the whole idea behind the concept. What time does it begin this evening, Hugh? So 6 to 9 p.m. It's in the crypt of the Anglican Cathedral, which is at 16 uh, Church Hill. So uh, just the door is right off the parking lot behind the building. Um, And, uh, you know, we'll be there. Lights will be on and the coffee will be brewing and the the soup will be ready to go. Hopefully it's a great time. Thanks for telling us about it, Hugh. Thanks, Patty. My my pleasure and uh, have a great day. Thanks for letting me on. Same to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye now. Hugh Donovan. Hugh Donovan, pardon me. I'm a great Irish name, Hugh Donovan. The event's evening, 6 to 9, at the crypt of the Anglican Cathedral. Let's continue and go to line number four. Evan, you're on the air. Good morning, Paddy. Uh, just wanted to say I listened to you since I was a kid with my uncle. Um, I bought a pickup truck in January. Uh, at the time I was buying them, there was no pickup trucks in Newfoundland. So I went out of province and bought it. Ever since I bought it, I had trouble with it. I never seen my truck now in almost a month and a half. They got photos of it sent to engineers and everything. I'm after calling the company. I'm after calling the dealership. And the best anybody could do for me is take it in on trade, which will make me lose a lot of money. Uh, especially here in Newfoundland. I mean, everybody in Newfoundland knows the weather we get. So I need a four-wheel drive truck, and that's the issue with her right now is her four-wheel drive. I don't feel safe to actually go anywhere in the truck anymore uh, with my little kids and wife in it, especially in the wintertime. And I just don't know where to turn anymore to try to get something safe without losing fifteen or $20,000. So, Evan, where did you buy it? On the I mainland? A, on the mainland, yes, because there wasn't no trucks here at the time. The time we were going through the crisis of anything to get anything with COVID. Yeah. So he bought it on the mainland, and so the four-wheel drive, what, do you need a new transfer case? Is as big a deal as that? Well, this is the third front diff they put in it. I only had it the year. Um, this is three or four sets of CV joints, and now the issue is that every time you put her on four-wheel drive, the CV joints falls out, of the, falls out of it, or something is what they're telling me. So they got pictures of her sent to the engineer. I mean, and they gave me a car, I mean... <laughs> I bought a four-wheel drive truck, and I paid a lot of money for it. Yeah, and I mean, a trade, when they, you know, like everything else, whether it be new or used, the depreciation happens very, very quickly. And one year in with all those repairs and those repair bills, I'm sure the loss would be significant. So, you know, as a rule, 
consumer complaints are handled by government departments. And in this province is held uh, at Service NL. Digital government service NLs where consumer complaints are lodged and all consumer affairs issues can be adjudicated. Whatever province you bought it in, are you going to file something formal there as well? It might not see the uh, results you need immediately, but it's a good start. Yeah, I'm after, um, like I'm on the phone with them all the time. I'm on the phone with the shop she's in. Um, I'm after putting it on social media, trying to get some attention there to see what something could do. Like, I'm not asking for a new truck, but I'm asking for something to be done so I got something safe to drive from my wife and kids. I mean, what happens when the warranty runs out on my pickup truck and I'm hot load high? I'm going to be held responsible for all this, like a brand new truck for five or six thousand dollars worth of repairs? Well, certainly not where you want to land. This might be helpful information coming from uh, listener Colin, who's former mayor up in the big land. He says to check out CAMVAP, which I just popped into my Google bar very quickly while you were talking. It's the Canadian Motor Vehicle Arbitration Plan. So I assume there's, it says uh, there's a, before you apply an application guide, an arbitration process, appeals and complaints if you have a dispute with the person or the dealership you bought the rig off. So as opposed to, or in addition to, logic and consumer affairs complaint with the province where you bought the truck, this one's a nationwide uh, group, and they have a very simple website. It's www.camvap, which is C-A-M-V-A-P dot C-A. Looks like they do all sorts of arbitration inside of these types of disputes. Okay. Um, like, I, I've been looking up, there's no lemon law for a vehicle here in Canada. No, there isn't. <laughs> so, I mean, the bigger companies usually just get away with it, and that's it. Well, and that's why they do things in their advertising, like uh, the independent inspections and stuff like that. So when buying used, you know, for a new vehicle, you have a pre-delivery inspection, which is pretty fundamental stuff. They take the plastic off the seats, they put the antenna on, and a couple of other things, check the fluids. But in the used vehicle world, the go-to in advertising is to display the fact that you have indeed had a very recent inspection of the vehicle and identified and or repaired everything that came up on inspection. That's where consumer protection is the be-all and end-all in the used vehicle world. But CAMVAP looks like a good place to lodge a in addition to uh, making a formal complaint with whatever province's government and consumer affairs division. So, again, it's C-A-M-C-A-M-V-A-P dot C-A. I got that. Kind of that. That'll, be, that'll, that'll be great. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, it's, uh, but, like, uh, I don't know where about the province. It should be some kind of lemon law. I mean, people got to get up against the bigger companies. Yeah, and it's hard for me to know exactly uh, where that complaint lies, but if there's an arbitration group out there that are taking it on, then I would start with them, and then the follow-up with anything like consumer affairs, regardless of the province that you bought the vehicle in. Uh, good luck with it. Fingers crossed. No one wants to take a bath on a used vehicle, and let me know how it goes, Evan. Thank you. i got more help here than get in the rules. <laughs> I appreciate that. Good. Thanks, buddy. All the best. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, yeah, I mean, lemon laws are pretty effective for types of or lemon vehicle laws. You know, that's where it's a little bit, and this is not aimed at Evan or anybody else in particular, but the buyer beware is always a fantastic mantra to go armed with when you go to buy new or used. But in the world of used vehicles, you know, some outfits are very reputable, and their reputation is their ability to get repeat customers because word of mouth is a really powerful tool in the world of advertising or condemnation. So even if someone tells you that they've got an inspection done, 
You know, I wouldn't hesitate to ask. Well, I've got a garage that I trust or a mechanic that I know or I have a relationship with. And so I'm going to get an inspection done. Get a quote from your buddy before you go to look at that used vehicle for the second or third time. And ask them if they're willing to cover the cost of that inspection so you can compare and contrast what came up with their inspection. Just that additional layer of comfort and knowledge to know exactly what you're getting yourself into because as we're all painfully aware repairs on vehicles are extraordinarily expensive especially when you get into things like that evan's dealing with with four-wheel drive and of course gone are the days where so many people are able to do some of their own work at home given the very specified uh, specific tools that some companies use and of course the advent electronics that are really the backbone of the configuration of powering these vehicles in large part so so maybe try CamVap and get us uh, get in a second independent inspection. Make sure that you're not getting taken to the woodshed. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, it's still campaign finance reform, and then whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Uh, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number five. Say good morning to the independent member of the House of Assembly, elected in, serving the folks, Mount Pearl, Southlands. That's Paul Lane. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Uh, I do apologize if I, my voice sounds a bit uh, a bit off there. I've been battling the worst case of the flu I think I've had in uh, that I can remember in years, to be honest with you. You're, it's, uh, you're not alone. I'm to COVID. <laughs> Yeah, I've got really one bad. lingering forever. I'm getting sick of it. Or sick of it, good choice words. But anyway, lots yeah. of that on the go. I wish you speedy recovery. What's on your mind this morning, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks, Patty. Patty, uh, before I get into my topic, I just want to, uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't just say, and, and I, you know, that I've been, uh, one of the things I have been doing over the last few days, uh, like most of Newfoundland and Labrador, I'm sure, is uh, watching the World Juniors and, uh, and uh, so proud of uh, the fact that, uh, that we got one of our pro boys uh, there, Zach Dean, and uh, he's uh, you know he's certainly been uh, playing great, representing us well, and uh, we're all very proud of uh, what he's accomplished here in the Pearl, and uh, we'll all be sharing him and his teammates on tonight, as I'm sure the rest of Newfoundland and Labrador will. Absolutely. He looked good last night in particular. I thought he looked really strong. Great play to set up Fentilli for the fourth goal. So, yeah, good on Zach. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Patty, I just wanted to, I guess, uh, this being my first call of uh, of the new year, and I guess I just wanted to uh, renew my call, and, uh, and 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 others have raised this as well. Um, you know, for the need uh, for us to uh, to have uh, campaign finance reform here uh, in this province. It's something that uh, you and I have talked about uh, on a, no- a number of occasions, uh, democratic reform uh, in general, and uh, certainly a big piece of that being campaign finance reform. Uh, as I had indicated to you uh, in the past, or just, uh, I guess, in the final days of the uh, Ball administration, uh, that uh, the government had finally agreed to put in place an all-party committee on finance uh, or all- on the democratic reform. And we had met uh, a few times, and uh, uh, we decided that we were going to start uh, off with campaign finance reform would be the first piece we would tackle in the overall uh, democratic electoral reform process. And we had uh, had some meetings with Engage NL, and, uh, and we were about to embark upon some public consultations. And 
One thing about that particular committee was that unlike most government committees where you have a majority of government members, um, this particular committee we actually had two Liberals, two NDP, uh, two PCs, and an independent chair, which was myself. So it really would have been uh, you know, done in a fair and democratic uh, manner. Uh, unfortunately, uh, just before we were about to start the public consultations, uh, Premier Fury had moved in at that point in time. He called an election. When he called the election, the government dissolved, and so did the committee. And after he formed uh, their new government, um, their new majority government, um, he did not reinstate the committee. And I think the first question I asked when I had the opportunity in question period was, when are we going to uh, restart this? And he said, uh, well, it'll be up to the government house leader at some point to reach out. And uh, two years later, and there's uh, been nothing done, and I don't suspect anything will be done, uh, which is very unfortunate. When you look at the story, uh, you know, I, I noticed there's a story on BOCM News there today, my colleague Barry Petten, and, and uh, I guess he's alleging that there may have been some skullduggery there on the, uh, on the contract with... Um, with uh, St. Clair's Emergency, I believe it is, and he has some uh, emails there that was obtained through access to information, basically showing that there was competing companies that were raising concerns about how the process was being handled, and they thought that it was being geared in such a way that uh, a particular company that they wanted was going to be a successful bidder. Whether that is true or not, whether that's how it went down or not, I don't know. But the perception will always be that way, particularly when the companies who are awarded, not just just in this case, not just that contract, but other large contracts, I I believe the the new penitentiary and uh, I believe the Waterford, if I'm not mistaken, all go into the same company. And then those companies have ties to the governing party, are making donations uh, to the governing party and to individual members then that's where all the skepticism comes into play and this feeling that we cannot trust government, we cannot trust the the processes for being fair and square and so on. That's why we need, that's why we need to have uh, campaign finance reform. We need to cut out all these big corporate donations to individuals, to parties, uh, in leadership bids and so on, it all needs to be. Uh, it all needs to come to an end. That way, there will be no, either hopefully, either any real or perceived conflicts of interest when it comes to these matters. And we would hope then that sure. governments, wherever they are, would be in a position to make the best decisions for the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, and not be influenced or have this sense that you know it's time to pay back someone who helped me out when we need this. Yeah, I was almost, I was thinking in my head, you know, it almost doesn't matter if it's real, but of course it does matter if it's real. But for me, and I don't care who the government of the day is, what party they represent. Absolutely This is a miscalculation or a misreading of the water and the beans. 
for me because there's a political victory here. You know, I know when we talk about democratic reform and first past the post and, you know, 50 plus one is best for the incumbent government. So that's going to be one they're going to be loath to do away with. But it's the involvement of money in politics that I think is one of the root causes of all the apathy that we see out there. If you are able to stand up at a press conference and say, we are fixing it. Here's what we're doing. You know, to know that they do a better job of that on the federal scene than they do on this provincial scene is madness. It's complete and utter madness. He would think that the ability for corruption and for uh, wheels being greased by corporate finance and or corporate donations and or organized labor. He would think the feds would be the worst culprits, but it turns out this province is the wild, wild west. There is an absolute political victory by reinstating that committee and the outcoming of recommendations, even if it makes it harder to bring in money to fuel the campaign fire too bad because i would exactly. suggest that two-thirds of the population would absolutely latch onto that and say that's what we need this is how we're going to start the cleanup it's not the be all and end all but it's an excellent step forward because even if you don't get a contract because you made a donation or you went to 500 dollars plate uh, dinner with the premier the fact of the matter is people don't trust the system as it's currently constructed to get back us some of that trust to get back people who are more civic-minded as opposed to being just sin Cynical, uh, cynically uh, motivated to talk about civics, then do it. It's a victory. It just is, and it's right there for the taking. I, I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, uh, and I would say to, uh, you know, there's going to be an election called at some point in time, whether it's going to be two years from now or one year from now or, uh, you know, two months from now. Who knows? Because that's another issue. We've got uh, we got fixed date election. Uh, we, we've got fixed date elections in this province. But yet then there's a clause in there that says it'll be every four years. But notwithstanding that, the premier can go call an election when he likes, which is, you know, just crazy. But anyway, there will be an election at some point in time. If I was the uh, the new leader of the uh, PC party, whoever that's going to be, or the new leader of the NDP party, or for that matter, if I was going to be uh, to prevent that from happening, if I was the premier, as you said, right now, I would get that up and running, and I would and I would end this campaign finance, uh, this kind of campaign finance donations, these huge donations. I'd put an end to it right now, and I think I agree with you. I think it would seal a victory for whoever has the will to do it. Uh, and the reality of it is, Patty, I and I, I can I can attest to this personally uh, because I've been there. Um, you don't need the, the money that's being spent traditionally is unnecessary. When I ran for the PC party, I spent, <clears throat> I think it was, I don't have the exact figures there now, but I, I'm going to say when I was with the Liberals and with the PCs in both of those elections, I probably spent around $20,000 or so. Okay. There was members that spent up to forty, fifty thousand dollars. There is a max. I, I'm not sure what the, the number is, but I think it, you know probably around forty, fifty thousand. There was members that spent the max. In the last couple of elections, as an independent member, I'm spending like three or four thousand dollars, or four, you know, four, I think I think I spent four or five thousand dollars or something like that. Like it's just like not even comparable to the amount. And my results have been much, much better. At the end of the day, why do we need these big, fancy campaign headquarters? Why do we need to be having TV ads and radio ads and 
uh, and, and ads in the paper. Why do we need these buses going around the, the province? All this is a big ego trip as far as I'm concerned with the leader's face on it going up and down the highways. Why do we need so many signs? Why do we need so many brochures? Well, you know why? Knock on doors, talk to the people, run on your record, tell people what you're going to do, tell them what you have done, tell them what your ideas are. There's going to be public debates that the whole province will get to see between the leaders. We don't need to be spending all this money. The fact, uh, you know, why do we need this and why do we need that? The political science behind it is pretty clear, though, because it works. Signs work. Sign warfare is really a fascinating issue to look at as an outsider as versus a campaigner. It can be pointed back to the the location, the size, the number of signs goes a long way to currying votes. It does. It's a bizarre feature, but it absolutely works. Same uh, thing. I, when I agree, it, Patty, this it, time. It does. I, I do. Oh, so, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, all the things you mentioned, we don't need them, but they work for politicians. But that's kind of beside the point for us, the rest of us, the members of the electorate, the general public. We don't necessarily care what works for politicians, to be honest with you. We want to care about what works for us. And the current way it's structured does not work for us. It only works for politicians. And that is so far down our list of concerns, all due respect, it's so far down my list of concerns, what makes life easier for a party or an individual, that's your problem. That's the PC's problem. That's the Liberals' problem. That's the NDP's problem. Not mine, and not the other voters. So, anyway, I'll give you the last word before I gotta go. Patty, I agree, and the point I'm making is that in the last two elections, I didn't spend that kind of money, and I still won. I won by much greater margins than I ever did before, so you don't have to spend all that money. There's an awful lot of unnecessary waste uh, that occurs, and yes, signs signs are... I'll be the first one to say, I'd be a hypocrite to say complain too much about signs. I've always had a lot of signs, but I've never had a lot of signs out on public pro, uh, properties and highways and stuff. I've had them on people's personal lawns. And you don't need to have big four-by-eight signs. A two-by-two two sign is just as effective. So the, the fact of the matter is is that uh, we need to cut out all the donations and we also need to reduce the amount of money that any particular party or any particular candidate is allowed to spend. Maybe we say everybody gets one brochure. That's it. That's the rule. You're not allowed to have two or three or four. Everyone gets one. I mean, there's things that you can do. We can say that if you're out in, say, a rural area, and lots of times you see, you know, all these signs littered all over the highway, maybe you say, okay, when you're when 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 you when you win to Glovertown, and there's a sign that says "Welcome to the town of Glovertown." As an example. Each candidate can put their sign up next to that so that people in going into Glovertown, they know who the people are that's running. And on the way out, one that says, thank you for coming to Glovertown or whatever, put a sign up there. Other than that, no more signs on public property sure. littering the highways. We don't need it. Well, we- I, I tell you what else happens with signs. If you put a sign that you think is a high visibility area, have a big intersection or what have you, if yep. you have a sign that impedes my line of sight, I'm not voting for you, even if you were my preferred candidate. Now, I bet you I'm not the only one who thinks like that, because when your signage impairs my safe passage, then I don't care who you are. <laughs> I'm probably not voting for you based on that and that alone. I really do have to go, but this is a very, very quick qu- question, hopefully a very quick answer. There was also a consensus vote in the House of Assembly regarding a committee to be struck to look at basic income. You know, so all 40, all 40 members voted in favor of it. Has it, that committee ever met, or what's going on there? Uh I have. I, I, that was what they call your typical all-party committee, and uh, under these typical all-party committees, the way they're set up, uh, unfortunately, independents don't get to participate. 
So I can't tell you, Patty, to be honest with you. I have not heard of any meetings occurring. Um, I can I I could try to find out and uh, shoot you an email or whatever. Okay. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm not, I don't know. I'll find out. But if you find out before me, please do indeed send it along. Thanks for this, Paul. Not a problem. Anytime, Patty. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, look, I heard some rumbles over the holiday season that we are going to see a move, in particular on campaign finances, uh, donations from corporations, which I think really does have to include organized labor. And again, you know, when the sitting governing party looks at some of these things, including how the liberals kind of... T- and for all intents and purposes, bamboozled us when it came to uh, democratic reform, first past the post, 50 plus one, it works for the incumbent government. They were never going to walk away from that. I mean, the particularly lame excuses about they didn't come up with consensus about what should be next. And it doesn't have to be proportional representation as you understand it or I understand it. Some mechanism to make it a bit more fair. There was a political victory there, but they let it go by the wayside. Why? Because first past the post works for the incumbent. The end. With campaign finance, I think the exact opposite from the first past the post conversation. If you're the governing party and you, let's say, midstream in your four-year mandate, come out and say, we have now come up with recommendations while we're going to implement to make things better, to do away with the concept in the general public that if I make a donation, I'm getting a contract. If I make a donation, I'm getting a favor. If I make a donation, there's a wink and a nod and a handshake coming behind closed doors. Let's get rid of that. It's bad for politicians. It's bad for politics. Consequently, it's bad for me. It's bad for governance, and it can be fixed. Whatever premier and or treasury board president or minister of finance or the minister of whatever government department is appropriate at that table, if you come out and say we're fixing it and we're going to do away with the current landscape, there is absolutely a vote winning announcement there. They won't do it. Why? Because they think they need it. Which one? Do the math. Do you need that more than you need my vote? And it's not my vote. It's people's vote who are just crooked as sin about these things, and rightfully so. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, the show is going to talk about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Sharon, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How are you today? Well, very well, thanks. How about you? I'm on a little bit of the frustrated side this morning. What's going on? So I'm calling mostly to remind people, anybody who's going to the health sciences, for an appointment or whatever. Um, There have been major changes made to accessing the parking lot. Uh, So if you come on the the west entrance of Clinch Drive, and normally I would go in by the first booth, the parking booth. So I went in that way, and they got the blockades up saying the parking lot is full. So you have to go down then, and you think you can turn in by the cancer clinic to access the parking lot. But they got a do not enter sign there, so you can't get in. So you have to go down by the Janeway or down by the autism center and turn around and come back and then enter the road that brings you up by the emergency entrance and then go to your left and turn in to enter the parking lot. It's absolutely crazy. It's bad enough at the best of times, but now it's even worse. So is this all to accommodate construction? Um, I'm assuming, but I can't figure out why they don't have that access by the cancer clinic where you turn in right and you just go into the parking lot. 
I don't know why they got that blocked off as a do not enter. So the only entrance now to the parking lot is coming up by that emergency entrance and coming in and then turning left to go in on the parking lot. It's, it's absolutely crazy here. So my husband, who um, had an appointment, uh, we drove around for, I can't tell you how long. Um, anyway, I let him off. So I came up, and there's a bit of a parking area there as you come up that roadway. Um, so I pulled in there, left the car running, waiting for him to come out, but just got kicked out of that because the security people are saying that got to be reserved for ambulances. Now, in the meantime, there's no ambulances in around the ambulance area. And I said, well, can I just stay here? And when I see an ambulance coming, I'll just move. I got the car running. No, ma'am. I mean, you got to move. In the meantime, I pull out. He's gone. I just circle around. And it's filled up with people just sitting there waiting for their people to come back out. Like a Yeah. When in, in reality, nobody should be doing that. And, of course, if I'm the employee, my job is to bring that message to whoever's parked in that spot. Because if and all of a sudden. I understand that, Patty. Sure. I fully understand that. And I said that to the young man. And I asked him to pass it on to his superiors. That they have to figure out a better way. The traffic here is crazy, and people don't know. And that's the main purpose of my call. People are not fully aware that that normal entrance, we'll say, down by the cancer clinic, to turn right and then turn right into the parking lot, is now blocked off. And I'm seeing people who really don't know where to be going because you can't get in from that other entrance. For some reason, we were here yesterday for an appointment too, and that was blocked off. And there were no, there were lots, there were parking spaces and on the lot, but you just couldn't access it. So the only access is coming up by the emergency, turning left and getting in. That was the purpose of my call. Well, that's going to help people because it's confusing enough over there, and it's busy over there and circling around looking for a parking spot and all the rest of it. It can be quite an excruciating visit, even before you get inside the hospital to get your own medical attention or to visit a loved one. By the time you get to that front door, (laughs) it's been a long day. Absolutely. And I think with the planners, the developers, whoever, um, Parking has to be as much a consideration as to the, the facility that they're building uh, because people have to come here for their appointments. And even having, like, a cell phone parking uh, like they do at the airports would be beneficial uh, to many, you know. Anyway. Agreed. Just anybody coming, you can't get, there's only one entrance to that parking lot now. Yeah, and I wonder what that's about. I'm guessing it's got something to do with some construction, but an already confusing assume, spot, even it, worse. What? Yeah, I would assume, but it doesn't, it's not interfering with any construction from that entrance to the entrance of the lot, so I don't know. Anyway. Appreciate the time, Sharon. Good luck out there. Thanks, Daddy. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, add to it, and again, do uh, Tommy and Jeffrey have time to wait through the news, David? Okay. You know, I'm still confused. I know engineers can do some marvelous things with their expertise. And yes, you can build a a berm to protect the new mental health facility from any 
floodwaters. I totally get it. But it is a floodplain and a well-understood floodplain. On top of that, you know, if you've ever been over on that site, between the Janeway and the Health Sciences Center and the hostel and Ronald McDonald House, it is an extremely busy and very congested site. Add to a Memorial University students and the parking garage is very, in very close proximity. Now, with what's going to be involved inside the new mental health facility, even though there's questions about how many beds and the types of services, whether or not we're actually seeing a downsize in bed count or what have you, which is a concern, but a congested area is going to be even that much more so, simply because we put a brand new facility there. I get the mindset of treating mental health just like we do other physical health concerns. Absolutely. It's a big part of how we try to talk about mental health on this program. But that spot over there is madhouse at the best of times. Maybe not the best choice of words. It is a busy spot no matter what. There you go, more like a poet. Let's take a break. When we come back, tons of time to speak with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Very quickly before we go to the phones, the caller, last caller before the new Sharon, talking about... The traffic flow issue that she experienced when going to the health sciences complex, those changes are permanent. So apparently they came into effect on Saturday, December the 3rd, and they are fairly interesting. If you want a copy of the map and some of the traffic flow directions that are now going to be imposed forever and a day, I have it here. So if you want to send me an email or whatever, I will forward it along to you. So whatever changes are in place today, they are permanently in place. Uh, What first? Sorry, David. Three. Okay, let's go to line number three. Good morning, Jeffrey. You're on the air. Hey, just want to let you guys know. There's a dog down here in Kitty Vitty. He just showed up. He's like a poodle cross. We got him in the dog park just trying to get the word out. That's all. We don't know where this dog came from. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you called on us. What kind of dog is this? Sorry. He's like a poodle cross. He's all, boy, he's a nice dog. You can tell You can tell the look at him that he's looked after. He's not a stray dog. Somebody owns this dog. Do you happen to see any tags on the collar of that no. particular dog? No, we don't have nothing on like that. So there's some other people down here in the park. I'm, I'm sure they're going to have to take pictures and post it on Facebook or other social media platforms. But we just thought to, to get the word out province-wide here would be a good idea to call. Do me a favor. If you take a picture of that particular dog, text it in to us. We will put it out there for you. Okay, no problem. Will do. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. Okay, have a good day. You too, buddy. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, and there's a couple of uh, Facebook groups. I can't remember the specific one for Lost Pets. Maybe it's as simple as that. Uh, Newfoundland and Labrador on Facebook, Lost Pets. Anyway, let's go line number two. Say good morning to the general manager of the Wexford Estates, Arico Marines. They got a home and home coming up with the CB Stars this weekend. It's Tommy Beckett. Hiya, Tommy. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Grand today. How you doing? I'm not too bad. How about those World Juniors? Is that some great hockey or what? I'm loving it. I tell you what, the pace of play. And with Junior, you get maybe the players stray away from some of the real structured play that you sometimes see in the NHL. There might be the stray mistake, but that just leads to exciting hockey, to be honest with you. So the pace is extraordinary. The caliber of play and the talent on the ice is unbelievable. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. 
So, Patty, I just got a couple things I want to talk to you real quick. I'm going to give you a quick update on how our season's been going so far. Uh, we've been, I, I think, exceeding our expectations so far. We've had a, I mean, I know if you see the point status, uh, uh, as I know you probably know, we, we are sitting in last place right now, but we have had some, you know, outside of, I think, one game might have been 6-1. to one. Other than that, we've been in so many close games. We've had a shootout uh, loss. We've had a couple of overtime losses. We beat Clarenville last game of the season, so we're our last game just before Christmas. Uh, you know, so I just want to say uh, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished so far this season. The boys are they're coming together and gelling unbelievably as a hockey club. It's such a pleasure to watch. And there's nothing easy about it. And just before I forget, and we stick with your home and home with the CBs, uh, I spoke with Darren Colburn yesterday. Of course, they're getting the West Coast League off the ground, which yes. I think is excellent and very encouraging. And hopefully they can advance to a place where they can participate in the Herder Championships. It's Darren Colburn's birthday today, so I'm going to throw out a happy birthday to D.C. before I forget. <laughs> Darren's a great fellow. I've met him quite a few times, actually. One Great guy. Great great hockey guy. 100%. So, you know, yeah. we talk about the, the caliber of play and the talent on the ice at the Scotiabank Centre. I think people sort of sometimes uh, inadvertently, and I think erroneously, think that you don't see a talented game and a talented pool of players when you go to a St. John's Junior Hockey League game or an Avalon East game, when in fact the opposite is true. Oh, listen, that was number three I got on my list here to talk to you about, Patty. I, of course, since since I've been more involved, of course, and I'm at every game, I'm at every arena, I can't believe that if you're a hockey fan in these communities and if you have children, you know, kids who are playing in the minor systems in these communities, that you're not taking $10 out of your pocket on a Friday or Saturday night or a Sunday night at the shore and getting out and, and seeing the level and caliber of hockey that is played right now in senior. You know, Patty, it's not the old rough and tumble days and the bleacher creatures and all that stuff that, of course, me and you trying to start way through, that kind of stuff. But... It is just incredible how skilled these gentlemen are who play in these leagues. It's unbelievable. Like, I go to some of the, I mean, some of the rinks do well and some don't. And I understand some teams aren't playing in their home communities. But still, make it your team. Get your kids out to watch. I mean, it is, you know, for the price of admission, it is above and beyond anything you'll get you know, uh, for to take your family out to. And, you know, I know in our arena that we do many different things that are, you know, we have kids playing in between periods. We have fan of the game. We have first responder of the game. We have hometown hero. So we, I mean, for, for 10 bucks, you know, Patty, and to see a great caliber of hockey, the way these guys skate and move the puck and shoot and the level of goaltending, I mean, it, it's, I just find it mind-boggling when I go and I'm at an arena and I see 30 people there. I just, you know, I get that, you know, again, like I said, it might not be like St. John's plays out of the ghouls, but hey, ghouls, get out and support the team. You know, make it your team while they're there. It's a fun event, right? And I, and I think that you're really, really missing out if you're not catching the senior level of hockey right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I see some of the names kicking around on the scoring leaders and some of the lineups that I look through. And there's lots of talents out there. I can guarantee you that. And for where I, like, even when I was involved, I really couldn't necessarily understand, and this is not trying to be critical for the sake of, he'd be playing right after a minor hockey game. And as opposed to the kids in their half gear stick around and look at some of the big guys out there who have been all the way through the minor hockey ranks, now playing some amateur hockey, whether it be for love or playing for keeps, because once you lace them up, you're playing for keeps it's remarkable to me that sometimes because in essence you snuck into the game to watch a period and then maybe just maybe the next sunday afternoon game you'll see you know as opposed to looking for an activity that costs that much or way more a shot down to the rink for some rink fries and catch some junior or some senior action just sounds about right to me 
Yeah, it's 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 I, like I said, I just find it unbelievable. Now, of course, that I'm I'm up close to the game a bit more, and I, and I watch, you know, and of course, I'm I, I'm involved in trying to produce ticket sales and stuff like that. But you know, it's just. I mean, like I said, for the amount you're paying to go watch a game, to bring your kids and have a hot dog and a Coke or even an our arena, you can go up back in the roost and have a cold beer and cheer on the team. And, you know, to me, it's a great entertainment package all the way around. And I think people should be getting out and supporting, you know, all these communities and these players and, 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 and let your kids watch some great hockey or yourself as a fan, you know. I do know, and I used to. I used to spend an awful lot of time. Well, I used to. I spent an awful lot of time in the rinks. I've been a rink rat all my life, to be honest. Anyway, Tommy, so you got the home and homes coming. Who hosts on Friday and Saturday? So this Friday and Saturday, two big games for us. Where we got uh, the CBs. We're at home Friday night, and I'll talk a little bit about that first. Uh, this Friday night, we are having what we're calling alumni night. We're inviting anybody and everybody who's ever donned a Avalon East Senior Hockey League jersey to come on down, uh, cheer on the team, fill the rink, talk about some old stories, tell a few lies, and uh, you know maybe have a cold beer and enjoy the game. And and what we're, we got, we've actually got. For Friday night, we're doing uh, a portion of our ticket sales stuff. We'll go to the Ron Cadigan Foundation, which you know, of course, is very near and dear to us. And Ron was one of the one, one if not the best hockey players who ever played in the Avalon East. So we felt that was a great combo to put those two things together for Friday night. Um, we do have four home games this month, so Jack Byrne will be alive all for January. Uh, and we're very excited about some different things that we're going to have going. But this Friday night, we've got the CBs in town, and we've got the alumni night, Ron Cadigan Foundation. And then Saturday night, we're on the bus, and we're heading out to Harbor Grace to play him again. So, I mean, we've got uh, – it's a big weekend. Uh, we've had a couple – we had a great game the last time we went out there. We've had a great game against them. So, uh, you know, again, big weekend. Hopefully it puts some points on the board. And, Patty, if you can see the teams this year – I mean, it's still very close. I mean, there's a couple of teams that are a bit of a point spread. But if you were to see every single different game and how the scores are running, these are not blowouts. I mean, these are all very tight games. And like I said, we had a great game, beat Clarenville 3 nothing their the last uh, home game uh, before Christmas. So, I mean, it's almost like one of these anything can happen. And we have improved our lineup a little bit now. We've got some injuries back. So, you know, I think heading into the second half of the season, it's going to be some very exciting hockey for the Atacol Marines. Keep it up, Tommy. Appreciate the time this morning. Yeah. So, anyway, quick shout-out to anybody who's uh, ever been in the Avalon East. Come on down tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night and cheer us on, and, and uh, we'd love to see you, and let's help support the Ron Cadigan Foundation. And have a pop, and you mentioned uh, Tell a Few Lies. That's about all every hockey story ever told. Absolutely. Thanks, Tommy. What happens on the ice to what we tell our wives and friends, two completely different things. Yeah, and rec hockey takes three hours. I reckon I can take three hours, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Tommy. <laughs> Patty, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. My pleasure, Tommy. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, just before we get to the break, Linda is in the queue. She wants to talk about the consumer complaints regarding vehicles. Get a load of this. So if you want to go see the gold medal game tonight in Halifax, and, of course, it's us versus Czechia, in the lower zone, Section 8, Row C, the ticket price $17,258. Section 15, row H, lower zone. Two tickets. Oh, well, actually, these are tickets each per ticket. $19,175. <laughs> How many do you want, Dave? Imagine, twenty grand just for a ticket. Whew. Uh, let's take that break. Linda, you're up next. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Now, Linda, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good, thanks. Um, I'm calling about uh, the, uh, the the problems with vehicles people have when they buy new vehicles. Mm-hmm. And I can really relate to that gentleman that called earlier because it happened to us. We bought a vehicle. Uh, now, this was a long time ago, I'd say maybe 20 years ago. And uh, we had 15 pages of repairs on that vehicle in two years with warranty. And uh, the dealership was always willing to fix the car, no problem. But it was very, you couldn't depend on the vehicle. <clears throat> Excuse me, we couldn't take it on the highway. It would break down before we got anywhere. I would say that vehicle was in the car every month. So after going back and forth, back and forth, it was very frustrating. <clears throat> and the dealership, of course, wouldn't do anything, only fix it until the warranty ran out. So we did get a hold of CAMVAP. And it was actually, it worked out really, really well. They, um, as long as you're prepared and have all your receipts from the dealership and copies of everything that they did for the car and so on, they appointed a uh, an arbitrator for us. And uh, a gentleman came down from the dealership on the mainland, and we met at Consumer Affairs. And uh, we came up with an agreement. They did not want to take the car back. Uh, and only if uh, we agreed to buy another vehicle from them, and I didn't want another vehicle from them. <laughs> but uh, we came to an agreement that uh, they would pay off our loan on the car, because we had bought the vehicle and we had a five-year loan on it, that they would pay off the remaining loan if we leased the car from them. So we agreed to that, and it worked out really well. The leased car was no problem. It just happened to be a lemon. So I suggest that he should go through CAMVAP because it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, you know what? As soon as uh, I mentioned it to, uh, I believe uh, his name was Evan, I got a half dozen testimonials within 60 seconds. And one mm-hmm. reads like this, says, CAMVAP is the Canadian equivalent to the U.S. Lemon Laws. He used it many years ago when I had issues with a new vehicle I had purchased. The gentleman should have all his document, documentation regarding the issue. Also, don't let the dealer think, let you think that CAMVAP will do nothing for you. The dealer tried that with me, but I stood my ground. At the last minute, the dealer caved in and settled with me. So it looks like CAMVAP has got the teeth. Absolutely, and I totally agree because they begged me to. They would not pay off a vehicle unless we bought another vehicle from them, and I didn't want to do that. I said, no, I would never do that. So he said, okay, then what if you lease a vehicle? So they left the room. He left the room and let us discuss it between us. And we decided, well, they're obviously not going to do what we want, so we'll lease the vehicle. I don't care. As long as we're rid of it and the loan's paid off, that's fine. And it worked out really well. So, yes, CAMVAP does have teeth. It works. Good news, because uh, I'm not even sure I've ever heard of that. I've been dealing with consumer issues and consumer affairs complaints for quite a long time. But now that I've got that in my back pocket, they'll be one of my go-to operations for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how we found out about it. A friend of ours mentioned it to us, and I said, well, you know, it's worth a try because we were so tired of of dealing with the problems. And I even told the, the, the guy from the dealership from the mainland that I would go to Gander in my brother-in-law's car, which was, I think, 12 years old at the time, and get there. But I said, we can't even get out of town 10 kilometers, and we're broken down. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, even the light melted over the license plate on the back of the vehicle. Everything possibly could go wrong if this car went wrong. It was unbelievable. So anyway, I just hope uh, he does that, and it works for him. It certainly worked for us. I'm glad it did, Linda, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. Take good care. Okay, you too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. So CAMVAP, boom. Looks like they've got it going on. And, you know, you never know what kind of feedback you're going to get and how quickly you're going to get it. 
But as soon as Colin suggested it to me while I was talking with Evan and I told him, boom, 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 boom. Here come the testimonials about the success that people had with deal with Gambap. Brilliant. Uh, also, I'm a little bit surprised this morning that I haven't heard from anybody regarding their GST check. Again, the way the government crafts some of these press releases, you know, it's always going to be in an effort to shine the brightest light, positive light on them and the move that they've made and the money that they're sending out. But again, it comes around to where now it just creates a whip for their own tail. So if you were expecting X and you got something different in your GST check, I'm just curious to hear about the disparity between what you thought you were getting, why you thought you were getting that much, and versus what you actually received today and your GST so-called one-time six-month doubling of your GST credit payment, which of course started back in November. But I think a couple of people were expecting a few more bucks than they actually got today uh let's keep going uh line number two sean you're on the air good morning patty and happy new year to you the same to you i hope you stay healthy as healthy as possible with all the stuff going on i've got a couple of interesting things i I don't usually do this because uh you know i'm not a pharmacist i'm not a doctor but but there's an over-the-counter you just buy it off the shelf very interesting thing a friend of mine sent me the other day and uh said that, you know, if you get this damn flu, it's so bad. And, uh, you know, and it's not an antibiotic-related thing. So, you, you know, that's not going to help you. But maybe this will help you because most of the stuff on the shelf is gone, the, the usual stuff. Even even parents of children buying adult, you know, adult-sized uh, meds, like off the shelf, and then cutting them in quarters, you know, to try and give it to them. Even that's gone now. A lot of people can't find any of those around. So there, so there's, there's a thing called, um, if you don't mind me saying, uh, emergency with a capital C, so it's M-E, sorry, E-M-E-R-G-E-N dash capital C, and it's in a box. And with that, there's also, uh, it's, you know, like that's a drink, you just mix it up. And the other one is a gummy, would you believe? It's the same brand. And it's really good for helping you relieve some of the symptoms or give you some some um, some relief, you know. And uh, God knows people are going through an awful lot. I heard you talk about it earlier this morning. And I have lots of friends of mine going through it. Thank God for some reason I haven't. Anyway, apparently that's supposed to be really good. It's not a prescription, so you don't have to go, go see your doctor or anything like that. So I hope that helps. And the second thing was I was just listening to that lady, and uh, would uh, can, do you have a number for that crowd at CanVap? I have a friend going through something similar to her, and, I, and I'd like to pass it along to him. Yeah, sure, I got it right here. Let's see. The general support is a toll-free number. It's 1-800-207-2008. Okay, great. And the website's and, uh, pretty simple. It's canvap.ca. C-A-N-V-A-P? That's it. That's C-A. Now, I didn't hear a lot of your program this morning. Uh, I've been busy. But uh, I did catch a bit of the uh, the coverage from Rome this morning, you know. And it was very telling. There was only about, according to the, the news people there, about 70,000 people in, like, around the Vatican uh, or where they were having the mass for the former pontiff, you know. And it, and, and it really came to me that, you know, there, the issues surrounding assault and all kinds of other things that have come out over the years, you know, you would normally see that place jammed. Like, they were expecting 200,000 people to be there, right? And they had 75,000, if that. It didn't even look like that. It, it, it seemed like there was no crowd past where the cameras could could just generally scan, you know. It didn't seem that busy to me. So that, that was a kind of a wake-up call. And... Um, and, uh, you know, the, apparently uh, 
uh, a friend of mine lives very close to one of the churches that have closed down and, and said, well, you know, none of us are going to watch it, but just, just out of curiosity, I guess some people turn it on to get an idea of, of how many people would have been there and, and what's, what's the uh, takeaway from that. Did that get you uh, in, like, any interest? or? Well, I, I have, a, I'm going to say, a passing interest in it. Um, but uh, if I understand this correctly, this was simply a requiem mass. The funeral mass, there was tens of thousands of people. The St. Peter's Square was absolutely full. For this requiem mass, far less of a crowd, but that's how I understood the two differences. Okay, well, that, that, that wasn't totally explained in the coverage I saw, so okay. I guess that's what it was, yeah. But it's very, very telling, though, at least I thought it was. There were 200,000 passed by the coffin, apparently, in inside of St. Peter's uh, uh, Basilica uh, Cathedral, sorry. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the actual Mass today was very surprising. But what but, but grabbed me was the fact that the journalists said, look, they were expecting over you know, way more than that, maybe, maybe triple or more than that, but that wasn't the case. So, you know, I, and, and listen to Doc O'Keefe yesterday uh, from around here. This is not the case all over the world. There are lots of countries that are that probably aren't so upset about what's gone on and been been so uh, highly affected by it. I mean, you know, there's an awful lot of churches have closed and still more to go. Uh, I, I, like I would guess uh, to pay for a lot of things, not not the least of which is we don't have priests anyway. Uh, to to conduct the masses, you know, it's just too too hard to to get to all the churches. But you know, the other stuff that's gone on in the last forty or forty fifty years, and and now they fall out. I think there's an awful lot of people who who are really upset about it all. And I listened to the other lady uh, down in Ship Harbor a couple of days ago. You know, I I get it. Like I have a mother who was married at Corpus Christi. She was baptized at St. Patrick's, and within the span of a few weeks, they were both closed. You know, so. That, that's very upsetting to a person who, who's put their entire family through through the Corpus Christi Church, which is, I think, uh, I guess Dr. O'Keefe was talking about a few days ago, or was, uh, probably yesterday. And uh, yeah. and he's right. You know, it's very tough on, on a lot of people, seniors mostly, you know, their whole lives have flashed, flashed before them, and suddenly the place is closed. And, and, uh, and hacking up a statue, and who knows where it went, you know, when we all pass by that, if you're in the West End at all, going to Bowering Park, even if it has no no effect to you, because you're probably not not you personally, but people listening, uh, a lot of people who are not involved in, in Corpus Christi, but it's still a landmark, you know, and it's uh, you know it's been desecrated. Uh, it's just so so crazy. But you know, I just wondered, uh, and uh, you know, what you thought. Uh, I listened to parts of what you're saying some days about it. I know a lot of people who are very affected by it, and I. I can't disagree with Dennis O'Keefe. I think the Vatican should have taken care of it. Well, I think that's been a pretty popular opinion from the get-go. But, you know, the thought of a class action, look, I get it. And Doc's heart is in the right place on this one. But with all of the contracts that have been arrived between the property sold and the developers or whoever bought them, and the fact that this made it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, I don't know how effective it would be, but don't let my thoughts on it stop you. If you think that's an appropriate measure to take, then please do exactly that. But to know, and you know, someone sent me a very lengthy email where I, he says I implied that the parishioners are a second wave of victims here. I didn't say it like that. But in essence, it's not far from the truth. Because if I have a pious, staunch Roman Catholic, and I've been going to Mass at whatever church, Holy Rosary down in the Cove, for 60 years, and now all of a sudden it's gone, and I didn't do anything wrong, that's a problem. It just quite simply is. And that is not to begrudge Jeff Budden and the people he represents, the victims at Mount Cashel. Nobody even nudges up against insinuating that. But it's a problem that has 
you know, been complicated for a lot of people unnecessarily so. Yes, and and, uh, and to add to that, uh, it's, it's not going to stop there. I mean, central Newfoundland is still out there. They haven't closed down very many churches out in that uh, diocese. So, you know, is that next? And, and I think the people out there have, have, have got to got to stand up for themselves right away. I don't know if it's going to help any. A lot of us stood up for, for the churches that we were going to on the east coast of the province. Uh, it, it didn't stop it. And I agree with you that uh, that, that people are, are very upset about it. I don't think they were considered. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, we got to do this, and that's the end of it. And it's a sad commentary on, uh, on what the whole uh, church and religion is supposed to be about. Appreciate the time, Sean. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, so, yeah, there's a couple over-the-counter meds that he made available. One of those, the name I didn't recognize, so I just have to jot it down and have a look, Dave. So whoever called about it, just give me a chance to figure it out. All right, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Oh, okay, wait now. Someone just sent in the GST checks explained. Let's see how helpful this might be. Okay. I think this does help. The October payment equal the federal portion of the HST GST plus provincial portion of HST uh, equals. Da, 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 that's a bit too complicated. So the January payment equals the federal portion of the HST plus provincial portion of the HST. That equals regular payment. So the extra six months of double GST were both issued at the same time in November. October and January payments should be as originally expected. Fair enough, and thank you very much to the lady who sent that along. But, of course, I think that goes all the way back to the fact that it's not necessarily how the government painted it. And you're absolutely right. You know, once they said your GST would double, then there had to be some clarification. However, that would be doubling a six-month reflective HST check. And nor was it ever told, because when they told us about payment dates, they included January and April on that list, as opposed to simply saying the payments that you're going to get in October, November, November payment, pardon me, is going to be where you can experience your double federal portion. That would have been a little bit easier to understand. It certainly would have been better for folks who maybe, because as we all know, sometimes when you're expecting money coming in the door, you got it spent. And then all of a sudden, it didn't manifest itself the way you thought it would. But I appreciate that lady sending along the clarification. She knows she's an accountant. Okay, how are we doing on the phone, Dave? Today's a good day to get on. All you have to do is call. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Just before we get to line number one, so Sean called about some over-the-counter remedies just in case you can't get some of the traditional medicines. And I know some people, you know, given the worries in their own home as adults or with children, maybe there's some hoarding going on and there's absolutely a shortage. But the product that he was talking about was Emergency. So Emergency, as you know, spelled fully out, E-M-E-R-G-N-C-Y, but this is Emergen-C. So apparently folks are having great success with it, but that was the product. Okay, let's go to line number one. Say good morning to Ryan with Old Earth Tree Care. Good morning, Ryan. You're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing great this morning. Thanks. How about you? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm just calling in to uh, promote our Christmas tree chipping fundraiser. We're down at Holy Heart High School on Saturday between uh, 10 and 2 p.m. Um, and uh, people have... Uh, Christmas trees that uh, that they're aiming to um, to dispose of, uh, rather than than to orphan them in their back gardens. They can bring them down, have them uh, chipped uh, and processed into mulch, and the donations support the Jacob Pedister Memorial Foundation. 
I think it's brilliant. I was on the phone, but I heard out of the corner of my ear you talking to Chrissy this morning. So I think I heard you say something along the line. It's the glee and the smiles and the anticipation of putting up your decorations when you first bring the tree home. But then while you're taking the decorations and the lights and the lights and the garland off, all of a sudden it's like, what am I going to do with this? bloody thing but uh, now you've got a home for it so a couple of fundamental questions kind of neither here nor there is the chipper going to be on site absolutely we've got a um 100 horsepower diesel torque thrusting chipper that will um obliterate anything that any, that anyone can bring down to us <laughs> good stuff and so the process we'll get into the jacob Patterson memorial foundation because they are a terrific group of people providing a critically important service. So when you go ahead and zip my tree through your mighty chipper and you come up with, uh, is that product ready to make mulch at that point or something else have to be added to it to make it an effective mulch? No, well, it is a, um, it is a, certainly a mulch product, um, you know, right after the, the tree is processed. The difference is, um, you know, with the mulch we're making, the, there's, no, um, there's no additives, so no, um, no dyes, no color, um, no herbicides in some in some manner. So it is uh, locally uh, processed, artisanally made, boot, uh, non-boutique mulch. Great stuff. So what are you going to do for sales? So you're going to have to do some packaging and bring it back to the market, I guess, in the spring when we all start to go add our mulch. Is that the process? Well, the mulch actually... Um, it's not really marketed as a... Um, you know, for, for retail. We tend to drop it off at some, uh, well, for some clients, certainly, but uh, at local farms, um, and it's typically composted and then, uh, and then blended or turned or mixed with other organic products to make soil amendments. Well, I mean, uh, so everyone pro- utilizing pro- mulch is critically important. So this is good stuff because a lot of people are going to be anxious to find a home to get rid of their Christmas tree. And it's one thing to dump it down into a parking lot alongside Kitty Vitty, but you've got the added feature of the the majestic 100-horsepower uh, chipper and then the partnership right. that you struck with the Jacob Pottister Foundation. How did that come to pass? Um, well, uh, supporting mental health has always been on the radar for, um, for old earth. And this, um, this season I reached out to, um, to Marco development group, um, and they were keen to support it. And, uh, they have a joint venture with, uh, with Cal builders. Um, so we, um, sort of struck up a, a deal to co-sponsor the event. Um, so, um, and we're, uh, all three businesses will be matching, uh, do- donations made at, um, at Holy Heart on Saturday. Um, but the, uh, the affiliation with the Jacob, Jacob Pedestrian Memorial Foundation, um, again, where mental health is an, is an initiative that, um, you know, that we all want to support, uh, after meeting with, uh, with Kelsey there, the director, um, who is an, in, uh, incredibly motivated, uh, focused and an inspiring woman, um, it was a no-brainer. So, uh, you know, we fell in love with her and said this is, this is the right location to be, um, to be fundraising for. There will be some people show up with, with a tree that maybe they had the neighbor or someone helped them put it in the bed of the truck or strap it onto the roof of the car. Are you going to have some support there to help people out? We will have a white glove valet service from your car to our wood chipper. <laughs> Good man. Do you mind if I ask you? I know this is your business, but do you mind if I ask you a couple of uh, for a couple of tips regarding pruning my trees and taking care of my own trees? 
No, please. Okay. So I live in an old neighborhood where back in the day people were uh, encouraged to, and I think mandated to, plant trees in the easement between the street and the sidewalk. So I have a really beautiful neighborhood that is tree-lined. My backyard, I'm in maple tree country. I mean, it is crazy. And the maples, of course, you can cut off a branch and it grows back lickety-split. For starters, is there only a specific time of year for most effective pruning and trimming of your trees? Well, it is a bit species-specific, but um, we'll take uh, a maple, for example. Um, The best time for pruning, and, of course, there are many different kinds of pruning, and often you're pruning for for a function in a mature tree like a maple. So it might be off your driveway or clearing your your walkway or from over your roof. Um, But typically, um, the dormant season, so that would be early spring, is the best time to be pruning deciduous trees. And the main reason is where a tree has uh, stored up all this energy um, through photosynthesis throughout the summer, and it stored that energy in the winter when it goes dormant, is when the pruning is done in the spring, then the tree will draw on those energy reserves to begin to seal over the pruning injuries. Um, So that is the best, by the best standard, is the best time of season to prune that particular tree species and for a healthy tree you know some people will prune their trees back so they can have more sunlight or what have you less shade in some of the wet parts of their backyard what does it mean for overall tree health to have an annual process and an approach to pruning well the best thing to do is to um is to have an assessment and certainly um chat with someone about how you need your tree to function for you um, and not everyone's needs can be met. And uh, like you mentioned, daylighting a, a garden is one of the, um, you know, one of the, you know, the sort of most requested services we get is, um, you know, a tree will handle a certain amount of pruning uh, and where the limbs are removed from is important and striking a balance between, um, you know, sort of tree health, uh, aesthetics and and um, and meeting the client's needs is, um, is is really the art the art of pruning. Is there a permanent fix? Because for me, I've got seven or eight massive maples in my backyard, and then sometimes it feels like there's too much of a canopy of leaves. Is there such a thing as cutting back a branch and having it never to reappear? Like you see the old things where you drive by someone's tree and they got this flicky yellow or red paint on it. Is there a way that I can make my pruning permanent just for some of those really wet spots that I'd like to see more daylight? Right. Well, the short answer is... um uh, is is no, and where the where the tree is a you know it's a living organism, uh, they will uh, they will grow back. So um, there's there's generally never one time pruning solution for a tree, and unless of course uh, you remove the tree completely. So commonly with um, you know with uh, with mature trees again, and these are you know trees typically over about five meters in height, um, they need maintenance pruning, and there certainly is a formula to pruning a tree where you can have uh, some daylight. The tree has good health. It has good, um, you know, um, it has a good strong uh, structure, and it's less likely to have failures. Um, and that's kind of the balance you you want to reach. Now, and if in a circumstance where your garden might be absolutely overgrown with trees, then you might think about doing some selective removals and um, and highlight a few trees as features ra- rather than having a wall of trees on a fence line or a property boundary, for example. Last one, Ryan, before I let you go, and we give the details one more time for the chipping experience, is what are the rules inside the city limits, in particular in St. John's, for removing a tree on your own property? My understanding is you have to get a permit and permission from the city to do something like that. Is that the case? 
Well, that's uh, that can be a bit of a sticky situation. So the city of St. John's um, doesn't have a um, municipal tree bylaw, um, a functioning urban forestry plan, um, to my to my knowledge. So uh, the city will manage. Uh, trees or parts of trees that are over public spaces, streets and sidewalks, and of course parks. But trees in, on private property uh, are are typically unprotected. And in the urban forestry plan that you might see in um, uh, you know in a different municipality uh, in in our country, um, often the urban forest is protected as a whole. Um, but but also there can be trees identified as uh, nuisance trees or invasive plants or invasive uh, species. Um, that could be selected and removed. So my advice would be uh, for any homeowner looking to uh, prune a tree sort of significantly significantly, or to remove it would be to um, certainly contact a tree care company that has uh, trained arborists, ISA certified arborists, um, and get that opinion. But certainly to follow up with the city to see if there is any regulation um, uh, pertaining to that you know, particular tree species or location. Give us the details one more time for Christmas tree drop-off and chipping. So Holy Heart High School, Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, push, pull, or drag your woody Christmas tree, um, free of ornaments uh, and lights and fasteners. Um, again, we'll have a, a valet service for it, and um, we'll be chipping them probably every 15 or 20 minutes if you want to stick around and and observe. Good on you for taking it on. And thanks for your time this morning, Ryan. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Take, take good care. Bye-bye. That's Ryan with Old Earth Tree Care. Saturday, Holy Heart of Mary parking lot, 10 to 2. White glove valet service. Push, pull, or drag your wood tree. No ornaments, no lights, no fasteners, the like. Okay, let's take our final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. As per uh, question via email, this is for the wood chipping of your Christmas tree. Someone asked me where the when they missed it. Saturday afternoon, here in town, between 10 a.m., or pardon me, not afternoon, Saturday, here in town, Holy Heart of Mary parking lot, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., just bring them your wooden Christmas tree, your real tree, no lights, no decorations, no fasteners, and they will take it off your hands, and they will chip it, they'll create a mulch with it, and when that mulch is dealt with and sold, proceeds, We'll be going to the Jacob Potterson Memorial Foundation, which is a, a group that does counseling for youth regarding mental health counseling, therapy, crisis, and what have you. So they do really important work. I posed this question to independent member Paul Lane regarding the whether or not that the party that was struck to look at basic income had actually held a meeting. And he said as an independent, he would not be involved with these because this is a classic all-party committee meeting. The members of that committee are uh, Minister Davis, Sherry Gammon-Walsh, Craig Party, and Jim Din. They have met. So apparently they had their first meeting back on the 12th of December uh, this past year. So that work is ongoing. We don't know when the next meeting is supposed to be, but they have indeed met. And so we'll get an update on that front when those updates become available. Now, <laughs> so in a really extremely bizarre email just read, it's why I'm so deathly afraid of uh, talking about the digital IDs that are coming. When, in fact, I, here's how unafraid I am, is spoke to it yesterday and this morning. So there's two areas where the government is looking at these, what they say at this moment in time, are optional digital IDs. One is about, like, for instance, proving you're the age majority to be able to buy something at the liquor store. That's one thing. 
And whether or not it's pragmatic is required, if it's going to work, don't know. The government at this moment in time says that particular option, which is only conceptual at this moment in time, will be, that particular option will indeed be optional. You won't have to have it if you don't want it. Then the second one, which I'm really not 100% sure, maybe we should invite Sarah Studley on the show, Dave, to give us a better idea, idea about how this digital insurance validation program is going to work. Because you get it or you don't. You have insurance or you don't. So is there an additional flag that goes to law enforcement? Because the motor vehicle division will be notified by your insurance company if you drop the coverage. Because I suppose that's what goes on here. Is to get your vehicle re-registered, you have to prove you have an active and up-to-date license and proof of insurance. So I suppose what goes on is people go re-register, and as soon as they get a few feet off the lot, they call their insurance company and drop their policy to save the money. So they estimate somewhere between 3 and 7% of motorists on the roads in this province are uninsured. We actually have the highest incident of reporting uh, highest cost and claim frequency for uninsured drivers anywhere in the Atlantic provinces. That was based on a 2019 report. But I'm still not entirely sure how a digital validation program will keep or reduce the number of uninsured drivers to a bare minimum. And then they go on to say that it's going to take a year or two before you see this system have a, an appreciable impact on my premiums, my auto insurance rates. But I'd just like to need, well, I need to know a little bit more about exactly how that works. Because unless it has additional protections in place and red flags that go up to law enforcement or others, I don't really know what we get with it. Not to say it's bad ideas, I just don't understand it enough to say it's good, bad, or indifferent to it. But so, no, we're not afraid to talk about it because we spoke about the digital insurance and the other potential conceptual digital ID that the government is considering. In fact, the provinces and territorial privacy commissioners have actually signed on with their level of concern because for them, of course, as it says right in their office name and their mandate, privacy is number one. It's paramount to them. So those two topics are absolutely up for your consideration. We're not afraid of it. We're not afraid of anything. All right, last check on the Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. You can follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com, but we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.